Hello, hello, it's me again. So, set up uh, for an experiment here. Um, Star Trek Discovery airs on CBS um, online at, um, oh, what is it? It's like 8.30 or something like that. Now, it's not available through TV stations or anything like that. But uh, you actually have to get it online. Well, I've got a theory. And the theory goes something like, uh, if I actually make modifications... Um, in a certain particular pattern, um, I can actually influence the outcome and uh, the development of that show um, without uh, ever playing a part in it or anything like that. So, and so here's the experiment. You know, if if what I'm theorizing that I can actually, through the things I do with my computer, quite literally cause um, influence. The Star Trek, uh, Star, the Star Trek Discovery TV show itself. So, so what I've done, and, and I think it's going to be obvious, you know, with the the changes or the things I've done in order to influence this. Star Trek is a very, you know, typically a conservative show. It's um, you know, a little bit uptight in nature to some degree. So that's actually, you know, why I think it'd be pretty easy to spot the uh, spot the modifications. One modification, not so much as the other one, but uh, it'd still be a little bit uh, a little bit too obvious. So what I've got here is I've got five different computers. Now, um, each computer, uh, I've got uh, one primary character, uh, Dr. Brian Scott Gregory, named after yours truly, of course. Um, the other four characters are Kenna Patel, Jackie, Jackie Killian, uh, Lisa Milet, and uh, Rachel Brown. Now, Rachel's maiden name is Brown. Um, she, she was uh, married as a gooch, and oddly enough, gooch is considered a, a profanity in the Star Trek universe. Um, Lisa Milet, uh, Lisa was, was married to me. Uh, she was my second wife. So, you know, just, I'm creating characters based on, you know, former, uh, you know, people that uh, I was involved with romantically, clearly. And um, Jackie Killing, you know, we all know Jackie. Jackie's, you know, the one that, uh, that loved being naked most of the time anyways, and freaking loved the girl as it was. And then Kenna, uh, conservative Kenna, she was... She was the type of, of girl that I adored, absolutely fucking loved and everything. I actually asked the girl to marry me one time. And, um, I mean, my, the reason I asked her to, to, you know, to get married was probably one of the most unselfish reasons I've ever asked somebody to marry me. You know, typically I was married because, you know, to some degree feared the loss of this woman or something like that. But, you know, Rachel, or I'm sorry, um... Kenna was different. Kenna was the first girl that I I loved. Um, I don't know if I could say I was in love with her, but I absolutely loved her. Um, but I, I wanted to get married to the girl, you know, because I felt um, she was having struggling trying to actually get res residency and citizenship here in the United States, and I I wanted to help her, you know. Um, I thought I can actually help her out quite a bit and everything by offering to get married to her. And, you know, she, after two years, she's going to be a citizen anyways. Well, it didn't quite, um, you know, work out with that, but I still care about the girl. You know, she's a phenomenal woman, in my opinion, and uh, I still love her. So, in any case, Kenna Patel, Jackie Killing, Lisa Milet, and Rachel Brown are the f four women I've created avatars for in the Star Trek universe. Um, I mean, you know, let's say this actually 
does eventually pan out and you know turn out to be real. And I've got uh, women here that I've that I've created um, identities for the model themselves. They all look the same, you know. So the the identity concept is they're robotically based right now, and uh, you know maybe just maybe. I might go through and make some change <clears throat> modifications to the model at a later time and everything to reflect my memory of the uh, woman. But, in any case, the experiment is this. Five separate machines. Um, five separate machines in which I've downloaded and installed the Star Trek Online nude patch. And what that does is, selectively, if not for all characters, but for quite a few different female characters uh, they end up being bottomless or topless or or both um, it's it used to be ubiquitous now it's just very selective some costumes have it some costumes don't and uh, I actually kind of like this better you know where not everybody's doing it you know it's just a select few and everything and uh, what I've done is I've changed the outfit for the primary characters, you know, for Lisa, for Kenna, for Jackie, and for Rachel. I've changed the, uh, the outfits to, you know, to basically uh, look like, um, you know, to be bottomless. And uh, right now, they're all dancing in a club. So, and uh, that's just kind of the fun part, is, um, you know, I've got this club and everything, that's why I've got them dancing there. They're just more or less uh, kicking back, and, you know, three of them are anyways. Um, Rachel, for some reason, I'm having a hard time with the slowness in that machine, getting her to uh, to get to the Admiral to accept the final quest. At least I got her in the vicinity so I could try, you know, to create a fleet. But the goal here, you know, is is twofold. Um, two, kind of two experiments wrapped in one. Number one, um, if I make modifications, you know, to this character and everything, and uh, or to these machines, and I have them all running the same simulation, and I have them, you know, basically all three, four of the women dancing, you know, naked in the uh, club and everything. Um, you know, the theory is through through the chain of events, I will be able to influence the development of that show, um, Discovery. And I should see some nudity or hints of nudity where I haven't seen any hint of it whatsoever before. So, in a very conservative show where people are wearing, you know, very strict, conser strictly conservative outfits and everything, um, my belief is that it's very much possible. My theory is that the alterations that I've made of both the wardrobe and this Star Trek, um, online game and everything will send out a ripple in energy and will manifest itself in that game and uh, or in that um, that TV show and as a direct result I will see the uh, um, I will actually see these characters um, or I will see something inside Discovery uh, that's a little bit uh, more nakedness than normal um, you know, and that's that's the theory is can I gently nudge, you know, development of the, the show, you know, and uh, is this, you know, I mean, a, a way to achieve that, you know, through the mass usage of, uh, of several different, uh, different, uh, <laughs> different characters here to be able to influence the, uh, the outcome of that uh, TV show. I, I'm suspecting, yes, you know, that that's actually what's going to happen. Now, 
the other theory that I have, I created a specifically a character. Um, I spent a lot of time on the model and everything inside uh, Star Trek Online for um, on my primary character. I created a new alien character, and uh, the alien character looks pretty damn cool. You know, it's it's this really um, it's a red alien, uh, which you rarely see in uh, in any kind of alien type stuff and everything, an elongated head. And it has uh, kind of like um, scaled, uh, almost like a, what you would refer to as like a um, fish-like ears. And in general, it's just it's it's a unique, what I consider a pretty unique character and everything. So you know, with me playing and watching, you know, on the show religiously and everything, you know, so uh, can can that alien? appear, you know, in Star Trek? Will I see a hint, a glimpse of it somewhere inside the TV show? Now, to date, I have not seen an alien that looks like this, and that's why I designed the thing like this. You know, I've been watching Discovery and uh, and also Voyager, uh, not Voyager, yeah, Voyager at the same time, and I'm trying to actually just get an idea of how many, you know, do I actually see? You know, can I actually see these, uh, these modifications and everything that I'm making on a local basis, can I see this reflected on a TV show that, that's development? I mean, they're programs, right? So, you know, they're digitally aligned, so it's my belief that I have a digital program that pipes to me in my reality, you have one that pipes to you in your reality, you see what you want to see, I see what I want to see, and, you know, to some degree, it's just, that's how TV shows actually really do come into existence and everything. They're directly influenced um, by the choices that we make and by the things that we do, and uh, in really re weird and, and sometimes very profound ways. So that's, you know, that's what my belief is. And we'll, we'll see if I actually see a lot more nudity you know, on the TV show. It would be kind of fun. And uh, one of the other things I noticed, too, that was uh, I found kind of weird was with Rachel. When I was going through this experimentation process, it, it requires me to go through and uh, in order to create a fleet is how they refer to it. A fleet is a, the equivalent of a group or a guild. Um, I mentioned this in yesterday's podcast. Um, that fleet in this requires 20 hours of time in order to be, be able to... Uh, um, 20, each character has to be played tw for 20 hours. So I thought it would be as simple as getting each character up and going... And at that point, get them all to the space dock to the same same exact area and everything. And uh, once I did that, I thought, you know, I was sure that uh, they would basically turn around and actually tell me, um, you know, that, uh, yeah, no problem at all, making a guild and everything. But no, unfortunately, I have to wait. Each character has to be has to be spent 20 hours online. So that's why I came up with the idea. Let's just put them all in skimpy outfits. Let's put them on the, uh, you know, on in the... Uh, and they call it Club 47 or something like that. And um, just have them basically dance there on the dance floor and everything. Put them in, you know, exact copies, replicas of the uh, same outfit. And uh, just make it appear like that. they're my crew. And they're hanging out the, in a literal way, you know, at the uh, local dance club and everything. Onside the space deck. So, in any case, while I was going through the process of doing this, 
Ken was no problem getting up and going. Lisa was no problem getting up and going. Um, but the two machines that are, that are the slowest, um, the one that uh, Jackie's on, the one that Rachel's on, um, I had a really hard time trying to get these machines up and going and everything with the with these clients. Um, they'd had various bad versions of, uh, well, one didn't have .NET 4.0, which is a requirement for the nude mod. Um, both of them are fucking slow. And, uh, and just, you know, it's a lot of work in order to be, be able to get these characters up to level 3 and uh, get them all to the, to the same place on Space Dock and everything. So, in any case, I ended up um, finally getting them here. And uh, once I did, it was just like, okay, now, now I can, uh, you know, f start that guild. And, uh, but uh, one of the things that I ended up doing was, while well, I was trying to actually get Rachel to, uh, to change her clothes and everything, um, it, it, the machine wasn't responding. It was just, like, really, really slow. And uh, the client is, is full screen and everything, so I'm sitting there trying fucking everything. Now, this is something I found really weird. For the first time that I've ever seen a game do this, um, I've actually seen that uh, um, it it buffered every single thing that I hit. You ever have an, an unresponsive application, and then all of a sudden you're trying to, you know, get it to respond, so you're pressing all these keys and everything. Well, here I am. I mean, I see brief movements here and there and everything, so I'm pressing keys for a couple minutes going, fuck, you know, this thing's slow, you know, and as I'm pressing keys and doing it again and again and again and again and again, you know, over and over again, um, I'm just getting to the point where it's just like, okay, fuck, this sucks, you know, how am I supposed to, uh, to get by this, so... I, I figured, okay, it wasn't alt-tasking, uh, alt-tabbing out of it, it wasn't uh, responded to control alt delete it was still in the game, she was still part of uh, the character, so I'm interested in just getting hours, you know, with this character online and everything. So, in any case, um, I ended up uh, just waiting, waiting and waiting, and then finally I ended up just walking away from it, as she's still logged in and everything. So, now, it was weird, because all of a sudden she's moving around and everything, the game buffers everything. There's no keystrokes it doesn't it doesn't accept. Now this isn't typical. Most most games leverage Windows pumps and if they lose a lose a command or something like this, they you know, it just a lot of times it just it doesn't wait for it and everything. But this thing waits for every fucking command. Everything. So as it's replaying things you know, and I'm not shitting you when I say I must have entered probably about 500 different commands just playing around with the keyboard and everything, um, until finally I just walked, you know, walked away from the machine. Well, now all of a sudden I look back over it, and it's just, she's running in circles, she's doing all these different things and everything, and it's just like, that's kind of weird. You know, it's a really interesting, odd design for a character, you know, for a game base, you know, like this. Normal games... You would think, um, normal, actually I wouldn't think, uh, normal games have a tendency to respond to, you know, to the keystrokes and everything, um, but they, they respond on kind of a basis of where if, if there's a, 
a backlog of it. They don't uh, necessarily make you process all the commands and everything if it finally returns. Well, this thing, in a literal sense, is just kind of weird game design. You know, I'll put it this way. A lot of games have functions in there that actually sense when um, the system is blocked and everything. They have mechanisms which determine, you know, time and time between commands and that kind of stuff. And, you know, particularly with low frame rates and that kind of stuff, they have a tendency not to, uh, not to, you know, try to process too much and everything. And it's not necessarily a first-in, first-out type basis and everything, too. You know, they most games have something referred to as a game loop, and that loop lets things actually process um, more or less uh, at a at a certain particular frame rate, and that frame rate allows me to have a consistent experience and everything, particularly for slow, for slower machines. You know, so the experience that I have on a fast machine versus the experience that I have on a slow machine for the game, um, in theory, for a game with a game loop in it tends to be the same. Now, this isn't necessarily the case because a lot of these games have real high quality graphics and it still takes a lot of time just to render one frame. You know, so while one machine could potentially get um, 500 frames per second, human eye only sees 30 frames per second. And some of these machines, you know, you're lucky if you get two frames or one frame every two seconds. So that's actually kind of the problem is, you know, it's just, um, you know, with the game loops, there's still impediments to the speed and everything. But, you know, when it comes down to a game like this, which apparently doesn't have a game loop, um, it, it's basically waiting for a first-in, first-out basis and everything for everything put. So I push a button, you know, and when I push a button on the screen, you know, um, for something that have, has a game loop, um, that button press and that keystroke get get processed on the same on the same loop. And in a general sense, while sure there may be some loss of keystrokes and everything. Um, they do this to basically optimize the game experience itself and make it so where you know you're experiencing something and uh, you're the like I said the experience is going to be roughly the same no matter what the speed of the computer is and everything. So you know what they what they end up typically trying to do is is uh, you know find a low end machine and optimize their code accordingly and establish a game loop with that based on the lower end machine design that kind of stuff. So this is how a lot of games work and everything, but uh, not Star Trek Online. I mean, I've got uh, I've got the game at the highest resolution settings on my high-end machine, and uh, it runs like a champ. I mean, it really run, runs pretty well. It's actually quite gorgeous, too. Um, you know, but uh, if I look at it in the lower-end machines, um, not only is it going really fucking slow, you know, but uh, it's also buffering commands. So if, if I'm in a high-traffic or high-density area and everything, despite the fact that my graphics are turned all the way down on that machine, in contrast to this machine, um, to my high-end machine where they're turned all the way up, despite the fact that they're turned all the way down, it's still getting latency, and that latency is basically making it so where I've literally been away from the machine for 20 minutes' time, and I'm going to go check right now to see if it's actually returned. Nope, character's still running around. This is really fucking obnoxious. Decline. Decline. So, in any case, 
just might require me literally rebooting the machine and everything in order to do it. But I have to have 20, 20 minutes on each machine. So, kind of a pain in the ass. So in any case, dance basic. So I'm going to keep my characters dancing here, and uh, just to acquire 20 hours worth of time on each one. And one other thing I wanted to say too, 150, one... Yeah, so I found that weird, you know, just the game design, or the... I'm going to quit referring to these as games. The alternate reality in design is profoundly different, you know, than most alternate realities. Watch Dogs, for instance, or Grand Theft Auto. It scales pretty well based on the machine speed and everything. And it's all because they they have time in the game, and that time is, uh, is managed to such a degree that, you know, if you've got a fast machine, it's actually profiling the machine all the time and everything. And, um... You know, it uh, limits the frames per second and everything. It'll actually warn you if you have settings too high, you know, for the machine and everything, that uh, it's detected. And I think Star Trek Online does the same thing, but, man, it just doesn't seem to scale well based on the machine. So, anyways. Now I've just got to get my dancers to, uh, to dance the night away. But, in any case, my dog's looking at me right now wants a piece of hamburger, and I'm ignoring her. She's staring at me. Her mouth is drooling. And it's not like I don't feed her all throughout the day and give her all kinds of shit all throughout the day, and even gave her some hamburger before, too. But no, she's a little greedy thing. And she's sitting there looking at me with these huge puppy dog eyes. Tails wagging. Looking all as cute as can be. And she knows I'm talking about her. See? She starts that little whole thing. <laughs> it's like, I know you're li you're talking about me. And she thinks that if she's as cute as she possibly can be, she's going to get some more food, some more meat. That's what she thinks. <laughs> she starts panting a little bit more. Because she knows she's getting attention. But she's not going to get some meat. No. She's not going to get some meat. No, I already gave you too much. See, I don't even have to look at her. She knows I'm talking about her. Yep, she knows. Even if I don't change the voice, she knows I'm talking about her. Even if I don't talk in that whole puppy dog voice and everything... You know, she knows. Her tail starts wagging again. There it goes. She's just sitting there staring at me. Till I take this plate off my table, she thinks there's burger on it. And she thinks she's going to get some of that burger. And I've got something different for her to tell, to know. No, she's not going to get some burger. Not now. She's already had too much. Anyways, I'm looking at my uh, bottomless woman dancing on a club. And she's like, how cool would this be? You know, find out that the that, that future isn't this con conservative, sterile place, but instead, it's kind of a, a place where you go and, yeah, while well, people may dress a little bit nicer and act a little bit uh, more um, forgiving, the fact of the matter is, you know, when it comes down to the dress and the attire after greeting a thousand different species, not everyone's expected to dress appropriately as per American and Earth customs. 
No, instead, people just basically say, hey, there's a lot of humanoids out here. And if you've got genitals, we don't give a shit if you show them. That's kind of how it goes, you know? This, that, for me, just makes more sense, you know, logically. I mean, you know, the the other question I was always asking, you know, that I had to ask, too, was, uh, you know, why is it they're, they're all looking, you know, humanoid and everything? But, you know, the real question I had was, why is it everyone dresses in all this different fancy fucking garb? You know, and that's what seems more unrealistic to me. You know, not necessarily that they're all humanoid. I mean, that's one thing. But the fact that they're all clothed. And not only that, but they're all conservatively clothed. Why doesn't anybody ask questions about that? See, that doesn't make any sense to me. You know, if you're showing things on Star Trek and all that kind of stuff, why is it everybody's in collars that go up to their neck? You know, why is it rarely, you know, is cleavage shown? I mean, that's a newer stuff. And the older stuff, you know, with, uh, you know, good old Captain Kirk and everything, that man was wise, you know? Yeah, he, he was insistent that uh, the, short, the skirts be shorter. For me, I would just <laughs> basically say, eliminate the skirts, you know? have some fun with it, and, you know, at that point, just, I don't know, so that's actually what I've done, I've got, uh, three uniformed officers, uh, that are dancing right now, um, short boots, uh, they've got, uh, a top on, um, but it's, uh, the inexpensive, uh, next generation top and everything that's, uh, kind of, like, made of, uh, a comfortable fiber type stuff and everything, so it's, like a, not like a wool, but something like that and everything. And it's, basically it goes up, it exposes the belly button and everything. So, beautiful top and everything. I saw, it's kind of funny, as I was walking around yesterday, I see some of the uniform changes and everything. And there's a, a uniform change that has more or less, you know, there's no bottoms. There's um, a top that uh, that exposes the boobs and everything. And, and a planet called Riza. And uh, besides that, it's just like, you know, there's the whole purpose of the top really is just, you know, show, literally. It's just, there's there's nothing that it's actually providing other than just simple augmentation for the body, you know, a supplement to the body and everything. And that to me is how clothing, you know, really should be. You know, you shouldn't wear something because it's illegal not to. You know, for me, it's just like, I, I kind of think that's bullshit. I like the idea of actually, you know, wearing things because you feel like it. You know, you go to a beach and everything, you feel like getting naked and jumping in the water, go for it, you know? If you feel like doing that in a very public beach like Venice, go for it. You know, that's the way I look at it. You feel like hanging out at the public pools over at, or the uh, private pools over at MGM Grand or, you know, whatever, and, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, the way I look at it is it's a per-corporation rule, you know, so if the corporation doesn't want it, then they can have whatever rules they want to for their, uh, you know, for for their backyard and everything. But me, I just basically say, you know, do what you want when it comes down to the clothes. I mean, I'm definitely not saying get rid of clothes. I'm saying think of different ideas for it. It's like earrings and... You know, mascara, clothes, and makeup and jewelry don't shouldn't have to be legal, legally legal requirements, in my opinion. 
If you want to feel more comfortable in the summertime, sure, wear them. Or don't wear them. You know, if you want to feel more comfortable in the wintertime during, in a cold place, yeah, absolutely don that parka. But, if you want to have a certain appearance while you're working in a business environment, go for it. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with corporate level requirements. That's the way I look at it. Anyways. So, we'll see. I'm going to get my ladies uh, dancing. Dance, dance, dance and everything. Let's see if uh, Rachel's going to return. If not, I'm going to reboot the computer. But, uh, I don't know. 20 hours. That's what i got to have all together. So, and yes, I'm going to give her a damn piece of my hamburger a little bigger. Here you go. So, I'll probably be back. Okay, a secondary note. I, um... For... It's been about three and a half years now. I stopped watching or stopped watching the news, stopped listening to the news, uh, reading the newspaper. <clears throat> and I've made it a regular fact to just basically uh, anybody that um, tells me anything from a news perspective and everything, I'm very quick to make it clear I'm not interested in hearing what they have to say about news and quote-unquote current events and anything regarding politics, etc. And... Um, even, and I've taken it as far as uh, movies and TV shows, too. Um, I'm not interested in, in learning what's going to happen next week in advance. I'm not interested in partaking in previews and, and that kind of stuff. Um, I'm just flat out not interested. I'm at the point where I want to be surprised, um, in a lot of cases, pleasantly and everything when I go see a movie. Um, I don't want to, you know, everything to be predicted out for me and everything. And... Um, and just it, it's just been this really kind of a remarkable journey and everything just because I've realized how much the mind is programmed um, based on the media information and everything and how much that usurps um, free will. And uh, it's it's really, you know, I mean, I, I know that uh, it may come across as sounding or seeming paranoid and everything, but um, it's really not. I mean, it's... The mind is is, a, is an incredible thing, but it's also not that tremendously much different than the computers that sit on our desktops and everything, than the smartphones that we hold in our hands and everything. It's incredible of, of amazing feats, but the important thing to understand is the information that goes into it, um, important thing for me to understand anyways, that's taken some time to understand it, is uh, just understanding that all information that comes into me um, has a tendency to get processed and that information that has a tendency to get processed in many cases because I, I previously had not been fully aware of the extent of this um, processing until I ended up getting my marketing degree and I started understanding the subtle nuances of marketing and you know how how slippery slope that slope can go, and uh, how there's other forms of marketing that, uh, to the mind, you know, forms of control to the mind that uh, are a lot more, um, what's the best word for it, subtle, not so overt, you know, I mean, it could be everything from the laws and rules that uh, that guide, you know, that guide behavior, there's a lot of different reasons rules and laws come into existence, um, 
the police and why they do what they do in a lot of cases and the threat and intimidation used by various police forces and military agencies around the world, including intelligence agencies as well. All the way to the shows and uh, the the movies that uh, depict a lot of these things as well. You know, in a general sense, it's you know I kind of I, I I despite the fact that I've turned off you know news and that kind of stuff, I'm still kind of amazed at how prevalent you know pharmaceutical manufacturing and uh, marketing has actually persisted you know through the internet and and uh, also especially through TV and that kind of stuff so you know for me it's just like I watch Orville it's the only show that I watch on TV and you know there's three commercials you know that uh, regularly air one's for Taco Bell the other one's for some form of pharmaceutical and the other one's for insurance you know so one's basically saying if you want to look at it in the simplistic format one's saying eat more the other one's saying um, be, be afraid and as a result depend on somebody else for your safety and uh, I mean that's the insurance company one. Um, the other one saying be you know eat more, and the other ones uh, so what was the three? So insurance company uh, market oh and pharmaceuticals, and the other one saying that uh, you can't take care of your own body, and uh, as a result, let us take care of it for you. And it's just like hmm. You know, think about these messages, these mixed messages that are being sent, you know, simultaneously. How much that fucks with the mind. You know, I mean, <laughs> the mind at rest, you know, that's supposedly at rest. I mean, you've got very conflicting signals being sent. You know, one saying eat more, you know, the other one saying, uh, saying, you know, you can't take care of your body. Uh, we should, you know, and the last one saying, you know, you should be afraid of everything. So what? It, which one is it? You know, is it, uh, should we eat more? And, you know, should we trust? I mean, you know, <laughs> that's the whole funny thing. It's just, with all these conflicting signals, which one do you do you choose? You know, or do you choose any of them? And that's actually what I, what I ended up getting to, was just realizing the ludicrousness of, uh, of marketing and, and uh, the persistentness of, of that nature. Not only that, you know, but the interesting thing for me was also, um, you know, paying attention to things that actually tell me, you know, how the future is going to pan out and everything for movies and TV shows. <laughs> So, anyways, um, yeah, I, I quit uh, quit watching the news and uh, paying attention to all that garbage and everything about three and a half years ago, and I was really kind of like, uh, I, I have mentioned this before, surprised at how offended some people get when they can't discuss exactly what they want to discuss with you, you know, um, or they can't talk however they want to talk with you. You know, and it's just, it's, it's really, you know, it's, it's made me understand human nature a lot more, you know, and uh, understanding that it's just like, wow, you know, the, the, in part, the exercising of, of free will also, you know, comes with it, the refusal to discuss certain subjects and everything with people. And, you know, while I had done that before, nowhere near the extent of basically ostracizing people that, uh, based on, you know, the desire, simple desire to talk about subjects, I just don't want to talk about, you know, um, and it's, you know, it's an all the time thing too, you know, so, and I'm not doing it to piss people off, I'm doing it just because of the fact that I'm, I'm tired of the same old, same old information, it's the same shit all the time, a different name, a different, a different identity, a different face or something like that, but, you know, the fact of the matter is it's the same news, the same garbage all the time, so that's among the reasons I'm, I'm clearing it, is it's clutter, you know, it's just information that's useless to me, it's not doing me any good, and, um, in, 
and I'm just simply the big thing for me. I'm simply not enjoying it. So while it could be, it's not just the simple fact of it being repetitive, it's the simple lack of enjoyment I'm receiving from any of this, you know, from this stuff that's of this nature and everything. You know, now, if I got better news and everything, if I got something that was truly entertaining or something like that, hell yeah. You know, I'm certainly be, be paying more attention to that. You know, and that's actually why I regard the fictional sources, you know, more as news than I do the things that are actually labeled as news. So, now here's, here's for me, you know, the, uh, the little step, though. The step is, um, you know, taking a little step further and everything, I've I've also noticed from a predictive perspective and everything that um, that some things um, have a tendency to create thoughts in my mind. Now, if my mind my mind is creating reality, that's something I already know and I already believe in. Um, this feedback loop of information and everything has a tendency to persist a reality that has not been created yet by and through influences that are external to me particularly influences that are actually claiming to be in the future so for instance uh, I haven't seen a movie yet now that movie itself while before I may have thought that that movie is complete when I go to see it at the motion picture place or at the uh, at the movie theater or something like that or when I download it. Um, my belief was because it had been marked as being completed at least in news sources prior to then um, that the previews that I was seeing was for a completed movie and I wasn't really giving anything away other than indicating what's actually going to be happening in the movie believing that this static thing would be was already complete by the time I, I went to go see it that's an incorrect assessment absolutely incorrect and here's why that movie in all information concerning the future a future event whether or not it's going to see a movie that hasn't uh, been released yet or that you haven't seen um, or that's an event that actually happens on a timeline or something like that that's listed about uh, a possible future and everything all of these events are not set in stone they are not cemented now the more that you accept information the more this pours the foundation and creates the cement that actually pours, you know, that, that paves the path for this becoming more real. But it doesn't mean it is. So, and this is, the, this is what I found to be interesting. The more I abstain from receiving information about the future and about the possibilities that actually um, are going to happen from a predictive perspective and everything. You know, whether or not that's a movie preview or whether or not that's a TV show preview or something like that. Sure, I'll read about a TV show coming, you know, but I'm, I'm becoming increasingly pleasant surprised, pleasantly surprised by so many different TV shows that, boom, they just crop up out of nowhere, and all of a sudden, boom, it's on my torrent feed. It's fucking cool. Boom, I've got 15 episodes of a show I never expected, ever expected. You know, and it's already out there. It's like, whoa, where did that come from? That's kind of cool. Boom, I watch it, and I'm fucking entertained. Well, the same thing holds true for a movie. You know, I've been finding that if I don't pay attention to the previews, and I intentionally 
don't listen to any of the rhetoric about it, and I intentionally isolate myself away from the quote-unquote predictive information, you know, about where this is heading and everything, and, and what's going to what's going to be happening in something. At that point, I'm finding myself more and more pleasantly surprised by the outcomes and by the entertainment that I've been presented, in contrast to how things were before. Now, I, at first I thought this was just better entertainment, right? You know, I mean, it's easy to rationalize this away and basically say, no, it's not about me, it's about, you know, the industry is starting to look up. No, it's not about the industry, dummy. You know, it's about the simple power, you know, of of just basically understanding predictions and what those predictions are actually doing. When you predict something out that creates momentum for the mind. It influences the mind. And enough mind re minds receive these predictions. It creates those predictions. This is the one thing I realized about Nostradamus. He wasn't predicting the future. And he knew it. He was creating the future. Same thing held true, held true for Da Vinci. You know, and here's the interesting thing about Da Vinci. I was always trying to figure out why there were all these, you know, paintings and all this other shit, you know, inventions and everything that, that kept being demonstrated and everything and kept being cropped up, you know, just out of the blue for some reason. All of a sudden you've got these, these paintings or, you know, sculptures or whatever, you know, that are coming out of nowhere, you know, that Da Vinci ended up creating and everything. You know, it's just like, fuck, you know, Da Vinci did a lot of work, but... You know, I mean, how is it historians keep on missing this information? And then all of a sudden I start out realizing, holy shit. The past is happening simultaneously. The past, at least chronologically as listed, is happening simultaneously with my future. You know, relative to Da Vinci and everything. At the same time, he's you know, seeing information about the future and everything. A future that he probably just doesn't want to live in. He probably just enjoys where he's at. Or, you know, who knows? Maybe he's, you know, on the same path that I am and, and trying to actually educate himself to become a being of his own making that's a lot like, you know, what I imagine as being Q. I mean, for me, to be able to meet Da Vinci firsthand and shake the guy's hand, hell yeah, that would be fucking cool. There's a couple of people I'd like to do that with throughout history. Da Vinci's absolutely one of them. And to actually be considered in the same league with a man like that? It's kind of like saying, you know, it's um, Da Vinci or Bill Gates or, um, was it, Einstein, you know? For me to be able to be considered in the same league as these men... It's fucking fascinating. I mean, it's it's thrilling. It's it's. I know it's possible. I mean, that's the weird thing. With what I've discovered about reality and the way I've I've learned how it functions and everything, you know, I know that the things I've come up with and I've I've come to observe and everything are are no less profound, you know, at least from a, a scientific perspective and everything than what Einstein's presented, what Galileo's presented, what Copernicus has, has you know predicted and everything or has put out there. Each one of these, you know, I know. You know, so here's the thing. I know that I'm in the same same league with these people and everything. You know, but 
I had not known before that the future, you know, from, from any perspective, is never set in stone. So anything I watch in the future, even though I may be given information about it, you know, that information does pour so, to some degree a foundation for it. But you could start, you know, and that's actually what I'm in the process of doing, is loosening the foundation of that information. You know, it's just basically saying, hey, you know, unfortunately I did watch an Avengers uh, sneak preview or, um, you know, uh, ad for uh, Avengers, but I've been so unhappy with the Avengers with the exception of this last one where, you know, I mean, what's his name ends up annihilating half the galaxy. Well, I'm, I'm definitely kind of curious now, but here's the thing. He was so successful, unusually so, and the only part that I actually liked about it was it was unexpected, an unexpected ending. Everything else in it was just like children crying and everything. Well, I want to see something more fantastic, more entertaining, more thoughtful, more inventive, more, you know, I mean, Iron Man and, you know, with his, with, um... Robert Downey Jr.'s capacity for acting and for embracing the character. He's alone. He's in space. He's, he's literally, you know, breathing what he thinks is his last breath of air. You know, and this is actually the only ad that I saw. And something happens. What happens? You know, I mean, something clearly is going to return him back to Earth and everything. And, and they're going to go through and start to discover things. But, but what? What is that? And the same thing holds true for Ant-Man. He was stuck in the quantum realm with no way out because everybody that he knew had died. How the fuck does he get out of that? You know, and the only thing that they have of, of a preview for that is, is what I, I absolutely loved. And that's actually why I wanted to let it sit there. He's waving. He's at the front door, and they're just like, you know, hey, uh, guys, uh, I love love the preview. And I'm just like, you know what? I don't want to see any more previews than this. I've got two open questions and everything that I have with this next movie that's coming out. I like the last ending, because I think it's going to be a tough recovery for him. But I have faith in the Avengers, and I have faith you know, in the Marvel Universe. And I know they're going to pull this one out. But what they're going to do? I want to be surprised. I want to be amazed. I want to be... I want those characters to redeem themselves. I want them to individually grow up. <clears throat> and that, for me, is just like, you know, the amazing part, you know, of not watching things from a probability perspective and everything. I know that my words right now are influencing the story and the content. I know from a timeless perspective and everything that my words are manipulating the mind of those people that are actually putting this movie together and everything as they're putting it together a couple years ago. I know the nonlinear nature of time and I know that the words I'm sending out are like a ripple in space and time. Much like when you drop a pebble in a pond and that ripple ripples out in any number of different directions in an uncontrolled way, but in a very predictable way. But that's the difference between time and space. Space, it ripples out. But in time, it ripples out in very predictable ways as well. You just have to know how to actually read those predictions and understand. Understand yourself and where you fit in with all of that. What's your power? There's a, um, a character called the Storyteller.
is a superhero, but he's somebody that actually works behind the scenes. Most people don't know about him. He's in the Marvel Universe, he's briefly mentioned in everything, and DC Universe briefly mentions him as well. And uh, he's, you know, supposedly one of the strongest um, superheroes that ever existed. But most people don't know about him, because he's constantly rewriting time with his stories. The way he tells his stories and everything, nobody catches on to what he's doing. No, he interweaves him. He interweaves him with his own life. Now, the interesting thing is, The Flash ended up demonstrating this guy. It's uh, the TV show and everything, just a couple weeks ago and everything. He presents a book, and he's at this point asking the, uh, the people in The Flash, you know, what the... Uh, <laughs> More or less, he's trying to gauge their personalities and gauge who they are and everything based on choices that they make, based on a, on a book that they're given and everything. He's not judging them. He's just basically trying to understand their personalities better through the choices they make. You know, he presents them some ideas and some concepts and everything. And at that point, he just basically takes it as information, as ideas. You know, and he integrates that into the possibilities that he presents to them and everything. And only that to the creative uh, aspect of his writing and, and to the stories that he tells as well. Storyteller, in my opinion, it's to some degree who I've been you know, for the greater part of my life. There's a uh, fantastic movie called um, The Invention of Lying. And it's about, um, it's got Jennifer Garner in it, and it's about a, uh, and Ricky, whatever, Gervais. Now, Ricky has a, uh, crush on, um, on Jennifer Garner. And looking at the two, you know, Ricky Gervais, he's, he's pudgy, but he has a fantastic fucking personality. He's just a character. He's, it's not that he's egotistical, it's just that he's, he's an interesting dude. He's, he's ego... He's got a big ego, and but it's rightfully so. You know, he's just um, an interesting man, and um, very, you know, what I consider to be a um, he's a, a living, breathing, interesting character. It's kind of like um, similar to Drew Carey. You know, maybe a little bit more magnanimous than Drew Carey himself. Um, similar to somebody like. Um, Oh, what's his name? The guy that died. Um, Chris Farley. Without the um, obscenities. You know, without the whole... I, I can't compare him to that, but um, he's similar in nature to him without being as obscene as him. Um, he's he's more sophisticated without hesitation and everything. So I, I thought the two were actually a good fit in the TV show. Now, she wanted to go out with a dude that looked exactly like her. You know, only he was male. And um, they had this idea and notion of perfect children and all this other stuff and everything. And uh, while it was an analytically, um, rationally um, landed on decision for her relationships and everything, the fact of the matter was she wasn't happy. You know, in fact, the whole city and the whole damn town wasn't happy with anything that was going on because everything they were doing was completely rationally based and everything. And not even rationally, but uh, it was based on, quote-unquote, the lie or the truth. You know, you can tell somebody that they're fat and pudgy and everything just because that's acceptable. You know, that's just, you know, what you do with people and everything who are fat and pudgy. You tell them outright that they are. You know, um, you, you know, you don't consider it to be an insult. You consider it just a statement of truth. 
There's just a, I mean, that, that was the whole interesting thing, you know, it was about the, the whole concept about the, the movie was everybody tells the truth all the time until all of a sudden Ricky Gervais, he wants the woman. And he wants the woman so bad, you know, that uh, Jennifer Garner, that he starts telling stories. And the stories that he tells are basically of this being that's tired than him, that's, that's greater spirited than him, that has more capabilities and more possibilities and everything. Well, me, I mean, that's that's how I look at Q. You know, Q is that to me as well. You know, he's you know, a creature of being, you know, who I do not doubt has actually gone and on to other things, you know, since what I've seen and everything. And is this being a, an idea and concept of God? Absolutely. Absolutely. Does it mean I believe that I'm not God? No, not at all. It means I mean, it means I'm following in the footsteps of a man, you know, that uh, had godlike powers and everything. But um, I've also realized that I, it's tangible, it's rational, it's within my possibilities and my my ability to be able to relate to and to be able to get to. Well, in, in Ricky Gervais's world, they believed this whole concept of God and this whole existence and everything was absolutely real, you know, because they believed um, anything that, that and everybody said was the truth. And as a result of him talking about this, it was true. And um, it leads to him becoming a prophet and to him becoming this, this being or this person that everybody relied on for word about this being that uh, defied their own imagination and capabilities to be able to exist out there and everything. Until finally he's actually called out on it and somebody, you know, somebody realizes, wait a second, these are this thing, what is it he's doing? He's, he's mentioning an untruth, something that's just not true. How is that, you know, how is that possible? What is that? And at that point, it's called the invention of lying. And then everybody starts doing it. And it's just like, you know, people are intentionally insulting people because they can, even though they don't feel that way, you know, feel that way about somebody. They know that they know that they can inflict more harm on somebody, you know, through these insults and everything, you know, but ultimately, ultimately, he, you know, kind of comes clean and he says, I don't know if something exists. And he goes, I'm just being honest with you outside of me, you know, and outside these capabilities. He goes, I only mentioned it, you know, just because. And he goes on to explain how he truly did admire, you know, um, Jennifer Garner. Well, it's like me with Rachel, you know, and like me with, with, with Jackie. You know, here I am, you know, being given more or less, and also, you know, was it uh, Kenna? I'm being given options, you know, for me and my life and everything. And, you know, the problem is I've got one woman that's married and I'm defying my, my quote unquote culture, you know, the one woman, one man type deal and everything, you know, and, uh, this whole concept of, you know, marriage and, you know, but here's how I rationalized it. She's a woman of free will, and she has a capability to be able to make decisions for herself. And that culture, which once worked for me, no longer does. And it hasn't for a long time. You know, so I respect her decision as a free-willed individual and everything. And while I respect um, her choices, her marriage is a part of those choices and everything. It's not me that's actually causing a problem when she decides to actually be with me for whatever reason that she wanted to be with me. That was how I rationalized it, and that's, to this day I stick to that too. She, a, a woman of free will, chose to spend time with me. Even though she was married, it was ultimately her choice to spend time with me.
Now, with that said, the invention of lying. It's an interesting concept, you know? But the whole thing is, whenever you hear information, you don't know whether or not it's truth or a lie. Not only that, but you don't know if it's the biased truth from an individual's perspective and the level of objectivity that somebody has with their ability to be able to tell, tell you things. This is what ultimately taught me about the importance of the necessity, the absolute necessity, to choose my information, not only that, but also to choose my future accordingly. So, unfortunately, what brought all this up was I, I just happened to be going through, um, I get this Cora uh, Digest, it's just really fucking annoying and everything, and um, I, I'm going to discontinue it. You know, just because I just ended up going to it, and all of a sudden, how do I get to the link and everything? Oh, no, actually, it was on YouTube. It's no matter how hard I, I try, sometimes information seeps in that I just don't want to hear. Now, Star Trek. Captain Pike is the main captain and everything. He's a guy I really, really like for Discovery. He, in my opinion, is one of the best captains that's ever ever been there. Um, he ranks right up there with Jean-Luc Picard and also um, with, um, oh, what was it? Uh, honestly, I think he's better than Scott Bakula, um, who was a previous Enterprise captain, and I think he's better than, um, than Janeway. Um, he ranks right up there as one of the best captains that I've ever seen on a starship and everything. And um, why I like the guy altogether is just he's got this um, noble um, demeanor, and he's got this uh, this strong, strong and caring um, reliance on the people that he actually is captain over, um, without letting them take advantage of him. I like the guy, you know, in a in a factual, you know, he's he's easily one of the best captains that I've seen in any of the Star Trek series altogether. Um, John Luke Picard's probably going to be untoppable, so let's just put it out there. But uh, here's the thing: I ended up coming across uh, and just seeing this little piece of news that just annoys the fuck out of me when I see something like this, and it's just basically here's why, you know, and this is and this is how they frame it. It's just to the point of fucking annoyance. Here's why you shouldn't get comfortable with Captain Pike. You know, it's basically saying here's how you need to think. You know, no, fuck you, fuck that horse that you rode in on and everything, and fuck that alternate reality that you actually want to kill Pike in this one as well. Fuck you. That's the way I look at it. You know, so the reason I'm saying all this is in the um, in the primary universe, um, Pike ends up dying. 
And uh, it's a well-known in incident, if I remember correctly. It was a Kelvin in incident or something like that. And um, Kirk uh, ends up uh, coming out alive, but Pike ends up dying as a result of it. Well, the way I look at it is, you know, I'm tired of death altogether, you know, when it comes down to it. I'm tired of Klingons. I'm tired of, you know, seeing this constant warfare within the Star Trek universe and everything. And uh, I, I actually want to see this thing um, go back to exploration and everything. Now, I'm watching uh, rewatching uh, Star Trek Voyager during the course of this, and um, I'm starting to realize this whole factional fight with uh, the Kazons as well was really fucking annoying, too. I can't remember any of the episodes, and uh, the way I look at it is it's quite possible that these episodes aren't the ones I originally watched and everything, too. You know, but one thing I just don't like is the... Um, is the whole concept of this continued and prolonged battle, you know, against certain factions and everything, and not only that, but, you know, losing some of the most valuable people and everything, too. So, you know, here's, here's how I'm, I'm looking at things. We're in a different universe. Flat out, in a, it's a different universe now. Um, the original universe where Pike died, this isn't it. Plain and simple. The events that actually happen in that future, you know, that future timeline and everything, don't have to happen. That's the beautiful thing about this alternate timeline. You know, um, the whole concept and idea that it's a fixed future and everything and Pike has to die, that's bullshit. There's other ways, you know, that uh, that things could go on, too. It's my belief that Pike needs to be built up as a captain. He needs to retain, you know, a hold of that captain, you know, of that captain position and everything. Not only that, but take it to the next level. The dude is strong. He's convicted. He's, he's you know, somebody that actually believes in his crew. And, to you know, for the most part, I, I think the guy that's doing a bang-up job. I'm not a fan of Burnham. Burnham's kind of a bitch, you know, and when it comes down to it, Burnham's a self-righteous bitch who, in my opinion, has been elevated, you know, for who knows what reasons and everything, but I like him because he manages to keep her in check. She's constantly questioning her morals and her ethical compass and everything because of him, and she needs to, too. Having somebody else in there just wouldn't do the same job and everything that somebody like like he can do. He can positively influence her as a character and everything, not only that, but that entire show with his remaining in there. So, in my opinion, you know, whoever's, you know, concerned about the Pike um, timeline and, uh, you know, the destruction or the, uh, the his death and everything, fuck you and that horse you rode in on. That was one story. We're not going there anymore. That's the way I look at it. So, anyways, um, if you would please quit popping little things like that, the antagonistic little fuck things in there, fuck you and fuck that horse that you rode in on. I don't want to see that shit. You know, I'm tired of it. So... In any case, um, with all that said, you know, when it comes down to it, the future, um, not just the future on TV and the movies and everything, but that future causes a feedback into my reality, and while I have learned methods to be able to deflect the negative energy and deflect the things that I don't want away from me and everything, um, I still don't like it. You know, um, I still like the idea of having more positive influences in the media and TV shows and everything that I'm watching. You know, and not only that, but more um, meaningful influence as well. And, and, and what that meaning is and everything, I don't know yet. 
You know, I really don't know yet. You know, I mean, like I'm, like I said, I'm having my uh, my avatars dance naked on a on a stage and everything. You know, in a futuristic uh, version of a um, of a club and on the spa- on the uh, the sp- Earth space dock. You know, it's just like that would be trippy. It would be cool. You know, it doesn't have to be grungy. It doesn't have to be dystopian. You know, it can still be clean and and fun and you know just a little bit different than it is now. You know, with Maybe just a little bit more cleanliness involved. You know, it doesn't have to... I mean, like the modern day, if you go spend your time out on the streets and everything, I don't believe that's how the world should look in the not-too-far future. We're going to be conserving more resources. I mean, that's inevitable. You know, we're going to be expanding our reach into other other civilizations and everything. As a result, the tightening, you know, of our culture and everything, you know, is going to be inevitable. Not necessarily the restrictions, you know, through rules and law and that kind of stuff, but the understanding, the self-reflective understanding of who we are as a as a people and everything as a population, should should come to come to light a little bit more. And uh, with that, steering clear and avoiding some of the mechanisms which might try to object, inject, I should say. Um, behavioral mechanisms which strip us of individual control of our lives. Things such as drugs, things such as firearms, things such as, you know, immediate, you know, strong threats like that, things such as terrorism, things such as the list goes on of things that basically want to teach you to believe that the world's unsafe and it's, you know, not a place that uh, that you're ever going to be safe in unless you actually depend on somebody else. Or something else, you know, for that safety. I call bullshit on that. World safe. And it's safe for other reasons, not because we're, you know, the perceptions of threats. But, in any case, I gotta go see if the other uh, computer's up and going and everything, so. Nine eighteen. Is it gone yet? It's taken fucking forever. Okay, they're still dancing. Oh yeah, she's up finally. So that one's no longer marked as idle. Milet has left the team. Hmm. Wonderful. I didn't get there in time for one of them. But. One of the others. I'm not going to change her uniform. Should I? Or shouldn't I? I will. We'll see if I will. So, anyways. I don't really have much else, anything else to say. I mean, i got to rack up 20 hours, and right now I'm just did a played. And let's get me dancing a little bit. It says, I currently have 9 hours and 7 minutes on this one character. So it's one of the older, the newer characters. So I'm no longer marked as idle. Keep her going as long as I possibly can. 8 hours on this one. So I spent an hour offline on this. So the key is just making sure that I stay logged in with these. And it uh, marks you idle after half an hour. It boots you after an hour. 
So that's kind of the pain in the butt. How is it I go about doing that? So what I'm doing is I'm changing all the outfits and everything. So we'll see if my little experiment works. I think it will. You know, I mean, the whole storytelling aspect of things is just like, you know, everything is comprised of stories. And to some degree, there's some people in the future that are actually trying to shape the future based on their past and uh, based on the linear history that they received and everything, which to some degree pours a cement and reinforces the walls of, uh, of, my, of, my, his, of my future, making it so where I have a little bit less control over it. So the more you know, things that I actually have that I'm influencing that, you know, I end up re becoming responsible for and creating a future or a future for which to them, you know, they're going to reflect on it as their past. I've also started realizing that um, I have to either make and expand the possibilities in my, in my future to expand the potential dependencies on me um, which, in effect, will make it so where any number of different possibilities can arise from this moment moving into the future, which inevitably makes it so where any choice I make um, becomes the right choice. I, I know that's a little bit um, obtuse. So I'll think of a better way to explain that later. But basically what it means is um, in... Terminator, one of the things that they say over and over again is the future is unwritten. Um, to some degree, it is unwritten. I definitely am in alignment uh, from a rough perspective and everything that the future is, unri is unwritten. But there's a part of it that has to be written. You know, it's almost like um, when you're on a roller coaster, you know, you have to have rails, you have to have a general path because that's how time will tend to function. It, it you know, if time was left to its own mechanisms and everything unguided, then you know what ends up happening is it's like a fire hose. You know, it it goes all over the place, and the future becomes the past, and the past becomes the future, and you know, it, it all becomes interconnected, and it already is all interconnected, but, you know, until you actually realize that you're the fireman and you're the one that has to grab that hose, and you become responsible not just for right in the past, but for right in the future, you know, for penciling it in. And the past is, you know, hey, I'm going to be meeting, you know, people like Bill Gates, and I'm going to be meeting people like, uh, you know, uh, what was it, um... Oh, some of my favorites, um, Van Halen, and <laughs> I go on with Einstein and people like that and everything. You know, yes, it's quite possible that some of these people didn't even exist. You know, that they were fictionalized characters created by somebody with the wonderful imagination and everything. But because I believed in it, that belief actually created the poured the foundation, which made it so they become real. And that's just the weird methods time works. You know, I can create a character and everything, and my creation of that character, um, accepted by somebody who who has seen that character as real, um, in that case solidifies the the foundation, which creates this causal loop. Which this is genuinely speaking how time works. It's not straightforward. It's it's just the way things are. So, you know, it comes down to it. It's just, we almost I I realized 
finding a, a reality that I perceptually enjoy, that I physically enjoy, you know, is half the battle. The other half of the battle is just basically saying to the collective reality, hey, you know, um, you can still have your collective, but that collective just doesn't have to include me, you know, and uh, you're going to find a way to, you know, to let me go and let me perceive and experience the world the way I want to. You know, you might even actually choose to join it collectively and isolate others that don't want to. Eh, it's all possible, you know. But in any case, I'm modifying, um, what is it, Rachel's uniform. She's going to be bottomless as well. It would be, for me, it would be so cool walking in. For some reason, I find myself in the future, you know, 2409, and I just see this place that looks so familiar, and it's just like, wait a second. If I walk upstairs, am I going to see the four women that I've loved my entire life and everything hanging out and just dancing up there waiting for me? That would be just totally awesome. So, I might have to change their appearance one day soon, too. So they don't look like a, all look, look five foot nine blonde, four of them all together. And each one looks distinctively unique, just like I remember them. <sighs> In any case, I do have a good connection now for once, and... That's about it for now. Guess I'm rambling a little bit tonight, aren't I? Oh well, shit happens. Okay, um... So, the formation of this universe. I've got to two introductions. Um, one... Uh, one is based on the concepts of uh, something called the tachyon. And tachyon's a faster-than-light particle. And it's um, it's indicative itself of the manipulation of um, of warping of space and time. Now, in what matters or what methods, whenever you see um, the emission of a tachyon particle, at that point, when you detect the tachyon emissions, that indicates that somehow, some way. Whatever is emanating, those particles and everything, has actually altered the fabric of space and time altogether. Um, warped it. So this is what what is akin to something known as a warp signature. The warp signature itself, um, that's detected, that's discussed in Star Trek, um, is actually detected through the emission of tachyon particles. That's how that's how the Klingons, or not the Klingons, the Vulcans, detect the warping of space. Um, or, and faster than light travel. So the tachyons are the emission, the particle emission based on that uh, on that thing. Now, you also have manipulation or artificial manipulation of um, of gravity, and uh, that that is uh, there's something called uh, gravitons that's actually responsible that that's that are created whenever gravity itself has artificially been manipulated so whenever you detect the presence of graviton particles um, those graviton particles themselves um, will uh, actually indicate 
where gravity is being uh, manipulated from an artificial perspective. Now there's going to be some natural emissions, but uh, when, you, when you actually gauge the natural emissions of graviton versus an artificial um, manipulation of gravity, you'll definitely see an increase in, uh, in you know, the emissions of graviton particles and everything um, through artificial mechanisms and everything. And the same thing holds true for tachyons. You know, so there, there's an innate, it's like cosmic radiation. You know, it's like um, microwaves. It, there's an innate, um, innate microwaves or innate x-rays. There's innate background radiation of pretty much every form and fashion um, throughout the universe and everything. And this is, you know, kind of like what you can refer to as background noise. And, and based on the location that you're at and everything, it tends to ebb and flow, you know, in a lot of cases. But in a general sense, you can actually rely, you know, on these natural mechanisms and everything um, to spike whenever there's something that is artificially manipulating it, artificially messing with it. So you can detect whenever space has been warped for faster than light travel, specifically FTL, when tachyon particles have been emitted those particles will actually be the result of something transferring and, and something exceeding the speed of light and everything. And the same thing holds true for gravitons. Whenever something um, creates gravity, and this is a cool thing, you can actually detect um, vessels that are traveling through space and everything, or um, things that actually might artificially be, be manipulating gravity through the detection of graviton-based particles and everything. So, the scientists have just recently detected uh, gravitons for the first time and everything, and, you know, it, when it comes down to it, it's, you know, it, it's what had been re recall, referred to as the weak force for a long time. Uh, the re weak force is more or less a, it's a particle, uh, a particle wave combination, um, but when it's manipulated, uh, that, that is actually causing an excess flood of, uh, of, of particles and an absence of the wave itself to actually uh, cause it to happen and everything. Now, there's one final one. So, the tachyons is something that's already been presented, and the gravitons are not. Um, and then you've got uh, something called, um, oh, chronotons. Now, chronotons are very, very important particularly for intelligence agencies and for countries that are actually trying to manage their culture and preserve the cultural growth of their country from any any temporal perspective. So let's say you're in the year 1918 and you're listening to this somehow. Maybe you've got a radio broadcast that you're receiving things from the future. Um, let's say you're Da Vinci and you're, you know, you're trying to get ideas on, you know, how to actually access and create time machines or something like that. You know, maybe you actually want to go discover one. Maybe you're Stephen Hawking and you're in the past and maybe you've, you've, uh, and again, the past is, is all relative. You know, to me, it's just preferred location temporally that you actually want to live in. So that's, that's how I look at time now. Time is, is more or less the specific location of which you enjoy, you know, um, and, and you prefer, 
engaging in um, from a living perspective, you know, well, for whatever reason, you know, you can be living in that certain space and time and everything just because, I don't know, maybe you like the 1300s, maybe you like the 25th century, maybe you like um, living in a post-apocalyptic world, maybe you're a storyteller and you're intentionally choosing bizarre places to, to call home simply because, you know, simply for the inspiration. I've certainly seen that and then uh, what's his name? Um, Sam Hunter, whatever the guy's name is. You know, he chose a really fucked up zombie reality to actually, you know, live in. Well, the guy's safe. You know, I mean, he's he's participating and just basically, you know, that's that's a life that he's chosen and everything. It's kind of like me if I chose a Terminator world to live in. Terminators wouldn't bother me. You know, um, even if they invaded this world and everything, they wouldn't bother me. It'd be part of the story, you know, so, um, so that's actually the one thing I've realized is, is just like, you know, as a storyteller, as somebody that actually is both responsible for creating and developing, um, creating new stories and developing existing stories and everything, a part of that journey is also being um, relatively immune, you know, to the effects of other, other people's that, that are telling stories. We like each other, in a general sense, no matter how fucked up you, you may be. We're, you know, to some degree inspired by, you know, the perverse. I mean, look at Stephen King. I love the guy for fucking years. I love the guy. I still do. I like some of the guy's stuff and everything. The guy's demented, though, you know? And uh, that's the whole thing. I appreciate it. You know, hell, my culture's appreciated. I've appreciated it. You know, so that's the whole thing. It's just like... To some degree, it's the funky, it's the offbeat, it's the whacked, you know, it's the truly mind-fucked, you know, that are the ones that are responsible for creating, you know, um, and, and that's kind of the reason I have no qualms about basically sexualizing and, and focusing on a naked world and everything, it's just like, you know what, screw y'all, I like the idea of a hedonistic, you know, world, but on the other hand, nothing like I've ever, ever seen before in media, but, uh, so anyways, uh, chroniton particles, whenever time has been altered and manipulated artificially. There is an emission of chroniton particles. <laughs> now, chroniton particles are naturally detected um, with massive objects. You know, so massive objects, whether or not you're talking about a black hole, um, you're talking about a, uh, a star, most planets, um, most planets, uh, most of these objects will naturally emit chronotons. And, and the reason that they do this is uh, because they are, at the same time, mass creates gravity. It also, it also distorts time itself. You know, that's seen through, you know, th through the, uh, the relativity, you know, Einstein's relativity, and basically looking at uh, clock temporal differences and everything for a clock that's actually moving at ground level versus a clock that's moving at, uh, you know, at uh, an orbit and everything. Um, you see a displacement with time and everything, and there will be naturally emitting uh, chroniton particles that will actually uh, demonstrate um, more or less where... You know where, and this is actually one way to detect whether or not a planet is real or not. So there's holographic planets. I don't know if you're familiar with those. Um, it's basically a shield that's put over a planet that, or put over something, and uh, it levy it leverages. In some cases, it could just be put over a ship to make it so where people, you know, 
might come there, and uh, all of a sudden, lo and behold, there's a whole bunch of pirates that are inside. They're just, you know, capturing your data and everything, or capturing whatever it is that you have to bring and everything. You know, they they create the the planet, and it's the equivalent of a of a honey um, what is it, a honey pot. You know, if you're going to talk about computer science type stuff and everything, you know, but uh, in a general sense, it's it's um, it's hard to fudge chroniton particles. Um, exceedingly difficult, um, so much so that it it actually takes the creation of a um, the the development and creation of a time travel device, a temporally manipulating device, and everything, in order to achieve that. So by the time that you wind up doing that. Um, and let's say you're leveraging a planet and it's a holographic planet and it's not, you know, for all intents and purposes, what's inside isn't a, isn't one and the same as seen from the outside. Well, it's an easy way to detect whether or not a planet is a planet is through the, through the emission of uh, chronotons. You know, if it's a planet that appears to be three plus billion years or something like that, there's going to be a pretty sizable emission of chroniton particles, you know, with it. And uh, the reason for it is every planet, um, every planet, you know, that uh, especially ones that are older and everything, has a tendency, you know, I'm going to say this 99.9% .9 of the time, has a tendency to uh, loop on itself when it comes down to the temporal origins. And as a result, that looping mechanism itself is what causes the emissions of chroniton particles and everything. Now, um, and that's just a, and the reason I'm saying all these things is if you're looking for evidence of time travel, um, Mr. Hawkins, I know you're still out there even though you're, uh, you've feigned your death. Um, there's a couple other people out there too. If you're looking for evidence of time travelers, um, all you have to do is detect the emission of chroniton particles. And uh, the, the way to detect that is to basically study black holes. Black holes have a natural emission of a whole plethora of various things on on not just the wavelengths, but also on the particle range. There's some things that actually don't come through wavelengths, and three things in particular that do not have a waveform associated with it is a tachyon, a chroniton, and a graviton. They have particles. They don't have the equivalent in waves. That's the interesting thing about them. So, that ought to tell you about the origin you know, of these things relative to this universe and everything. It's just a way to, um, you know, to be able to study things, you know, and in particular, especially if you're, like I was saying, trying to uh, manage your culture and trying to um, understand, you know, when time travel is being used and where, and uh, the net effect that it's actually having on your uh, society and everything, just, um, you know, put in your satellites, you know, chroniton detectors, you know, um, they're... All you have to do is study fictional media, you know, to understand how it's done. Um, pay attention in particular, what's the show that does a lot of it? Timeless. Um, they detail um, a lot of the physics on the blackboard, and so does the uh, TV show Sliders. So if you take, pay attention to the blackboard, um, the other one that does it is also the Big Bang Theory. 
So all three of these shows um, show different variations of permutation of space and time on the blackboard. They are designed that way intentionally. So if you pay attention to the whiteboards and the blackboards, all of that actually has formulas on there. And uh, it has the primary formulas for um, for opening up alternate realities and opening up dimensions and everything. Um, but you should also be able to see the alteration in, in the uh, the atomic state and everything and and the results of these equations and everything at a chemical level. And uh, this should give you hints as to the gravitons, the chronotons, and the, uh, the emission of these particles and everything. Um, at least, and to be able to detect, detect them. Now, why it's important, uh, you know, for the chronotons in particular, I don't think, um, I don't think we're taking that this seriously um, outside this country and everything. And there's a reason for that. It's pressure from two species in the future that I'm aware that are that are actually trying to challenge the concepts of time travel and time manipulation and everything to their own benefit and let's be clear about this not to your benefit this is very 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 important because the lifestyle and the things the things that the choices that you think you're being given and everything you know are are limited by design by a very, very sophisticated society and world, you know, from at least, at least that I'm aware of, two species that try to make themselves appear benign. And for all intents and purposes, they are benign, but they're just basically hypochondriacs. That's the Vulcans, and that's the Binars. Binars are in the future, um, kind of a development, a, a, an alter ego development of the uh, Vulcans, um, based on a split in their own mind. And uh, the, you know, when it comes down to it, the Vulcans have had a traditionally hard time um, understanding and grappling with emotion. And as a result, it's just basically caused a split in their mind and uh, a binary split. True, false. What's what's true? What's false? Um, all that kind of stuff and everything. In any case, um, time travel represents a breakdown of collectively based mechanics, particularly when the expectation and the adherence is not owned by the species and or entities that are actually responsible for governing it. And I myself, I'm going to govern it and I'm taking full control of it, you know, for myself and everything. Am I going to do things that are going to cause some complaints with some species? <laughs> Absolutely. I fully expect it. I, I've learned over time, you can't make everybody happy. I can't. I know I can't. I've tried. You know, it's it's not possible. Flat out not possible. Just because there's too many different possibilities. So, what I've realized is, there's a point where collective machinations break down. And that's the point where an individual exercises extreme individuality. That's why they refer to individuality so negatively in the society. Narcissism, psychopaths, sociopaths, you know, all these different ideas for 
These these aren't references in terms to killers, although they might try to lead you to believe that these that those terms are. No, it's just somebody exercising an individuality, uniqueness. Into a collectively based culture, it has a a tendency to forget about the individual. Causes some problems with it. So, anyways, gravitons, gravity detectors for artificial gravity, chronotons, manipulation of time occurring through uh, artificial mechanisms, chronotons are the emission, an increase in, in contrast to background noise, and tachyons, the detection of the warping of space itself. Um, well, actually, no, the detection the particle that's emitted when something travels faster than the speed of light. Anyways, that's probably it for tonight. Okay, day two. I'm uh, playing a Star Trek, and um, here's a... What I'm starting to, uh, to realize is the equivalent of a snapshot of a uh, film of a well of a of a camera okay i just let's reframe this all all together and everything i'm driving right now and i'm heading over to fred meyer i'm going to pick up some stuff to make some some pudding. My mom and dad are away until tomorrow, so I've got five machines still up and going, accruing 20 hours apiece to be able to create the fleet and everything in Star Trek. And I'm starting to pay attention to the science uh, that's presented in, in it as scientific fact. This isn't fictional. This is this is fact, you know, and this is actually, you know, like some of the things that I mentioned um, yesterday that will actually be contained within the same compiled two-day version of a uh, podcast and everything. Um, it's, there's something else that, uh, that I've realized is, um, the Voyager, the USS Voyager, and everything that's, uh, that's listed on it is just as much a journey of the mind and of possibilities that exist with the mind as it is of this region, this material region called space. Now, before I had always thought that uh, space was nothing more than an extension of um, of material location to go to. Uh, it was more or less, you know, just it, it's just a different place, you know, physically different place and everything. And um, I had always previously assumed that uh, you know you go out to space, you go to you go to uh, to the various different locations and everything, and you know the moon or Mars and all this other stuff and everything. And each one is a destination location, not that much different than something like um, I don't know. Let's just say Singapore or Australia or Hawaii or you know a little bit more local, California, Nevada, um, Nevada. So each one that uh, you know is a physical physical location. That's how I actually looked at uh, these shows before. But then, in hindsight, I started realizing, wait a second, there's a lot more that goes on with this. And you know, in Star Trek Online, there's a discussion of 
more or less different methods and different means, particularly more advanced, you know, to be able to uh, manipulate uh, matter beyond what's uh, capable and what's what's physical physically possible right now. And uh, these aren't theories; these are actually ideas. These are concepts. These are actually employed concepts in a lot of cases. And you know, it's not just uh, for, from telekinetic powers and that kind of stuff, but it's basically displacement and dimensions, and it's more or less an instructional course and really the compilation of this thing that I, that we call exist that I call existence. You know, so and to say that we call it might not might be a misnomer. I'm going to be very very specific here and say this is my universe, um, the one that uh, I am specifically uh, in, you know, attached to, that I actually p participate in. Um, the future and everything contains. You know all these different things, displaced dimensions, and everything. And um, I've I've been playing Star Trek Online, getting back into it, and it's just uh, it's really kind of cool. Just uh, from comparing it to other games, I've always felt like there was something something odd about the game. It was something not normal about it. You know, in contrast to other games, other games seem constructed from a a digital perspective, and this one just seems I don't know. It's it's hard to put a finger on. Well, I've started to realize what that is, and that's that the game expands in its capabilities um, and what you can do as a character in a very, very different way. You level up, you know, for instance, at level three, you know, you you don't have the cap... You, you really have limited capabilities. You can't beam out of Starfleet Academy at level one, you have to make some achievements and everything in order to be able to get out of uh, get out of uh, Starfleet Academy. Um, it's not until level two that you actually get assigned your own ship and everything, and you you inherit it from a previous commander who ends up dying. You know that uh, he ends up um, you inherit his ship, and as a result, that's that's the first first ship that you end up getting is based on a commander that ended up dying, and you inherit it. At level three, um, you are given more control of that ship, and uh, you can finally fly back to uh, to the solar to the Sol system space dock. But you can't get certain items that will actually allow you to traverse the galaxy. Um, so you're you're limited to space within more or less two two sectors of space and everything, and uh, it's not until I mean this this level of progression is really really entertaining, you know, just because it's um, in contrast to games like EverQuest where every level it's the same thing. You get predictable you know spells, you get predictable bonuses and everything, and while certain areas might open up for certain levels and everything, the fact of the matter is it's a very progression-based, um, you know, game and everything. You know, so is World of Warcraft, and so are most, most games out there. They're very repetitive, and in a lot of cases, this whole notion of grinding and everything is um, is ubiquitous throughout the uh, games and everything. You're expected to grind, and the grind is a part of the game that you play, and that grind is just, really, it's... it's <laughs> 
I mean, you know, you, you level up and, you know, as you level up and everything, sure, you get bigger and badder spells, but the enemies are just as difficult as well and everything. So you really don't ever feel like you're getting anywhere from a progression standpoint. Sure, you can go see new scenery, you know, but besides that, it's just like, wow, it's it's severely limited. That's actually one thing I've really thought over and over again. Well, Star Trek's different. You know, that's actually the interesting thing about Star Trek Online that I've been able to put a finger on lately, is it's a story-driven game. And um, the stories themselves, um, sure, they have some models in it that uh, are a little bit repetitive and everything, but um, I'm playing at the highest resolution se settings, and I'm actually sitting there going, holy shit, this game's fucking gorgeous. You know, I mean, looking at the uh, the interiors for some of these places and everything, it's it's absolutely gorgeous with what they do. Now, they can certainly make it uh, appear a little bit... Um, you know, like here, I'm in a, a station called Drozana right now, and Drozana is actually the uh, Ferengi-owned station that uh, they they have gambling and all this other stuff. It's kind of like a home away, you know, a gambling home away from home for a lot of people where they can do things that they want to within close proximity of to wherever they happen to be at and everything. And, um, you know, I, the, what's not unusual about some of these places is the spacious, cavernous rooms and everything. Um, I'm not expecting every spaceship to, or spaceship or spacefaring vessel to be confined in quarters and everything, but most of these places are just hugely, hugely designed where, you know, it's just, you're, you're looking at, a, you know, 60, 60 plus foot tall ceilings and everything, and they're huge and they're cavernous and everything. And it's just like, uh, most of them are like this. You know, you're diminu diminutive, you know, in contrast to these uh, these areas. And it's just uh, what I consider is, I mean, it's, I'll go so far to say it seems like a horrible waste of space for some of these. You know, particularly if, you know, some of these are intended to be utilitarian in nature. You know, so some of these places in space are intended to be utilitarian in nature. And uh, with that, you would think that utilitarian in nature would also indicate a scarcity of resources, particularly the metals and the things that actually go into building these, these places and everything. So as a result, you know, you, you would expect some, um, maybe even, you know, the, the uh, 50% of the places that you go to visit and everything would be more or less a little bit more cramped in quarters and cramped in space and everything. Um, now, this is unlike, um, you know, unlike Drozana, which Drozana, it's wealthy. You know, it's there to attract wealth. It's it, it should be cavernous. It's the first one that I've noticed that it should uh, have the look and feel and appearance like it does. If anything, it should go a little bit more than that. Riza is another wonderful exception to this. Riza is a it's a uh, planet that's specifically there um, to discuss that uh, it's a pleasure planet, you know, and uh, it, it's also a wealthy location too. So, in any case, I'm here. I'm going to pick up milk real quick. I'll be right back. Okay, man. For some reason I'm out of breath. My mom and dad are on vacation, and they're, uh, I haven't been going for a workout as a result of that, so I'm trying to insist that my mom is my motivation when it comes down to it. So anyways, going back to the subject at hand, started thinking about this concept of uh, programming, uh, programming energy. 
Now, in computer terms, um, when I'm programming digital digital things, uh, there's basically ones and zeros, and um, for the most part, these ones and zeros are a translation of reality, but they're not the represent the solitary representation of uh, of reality. You know, so more or less at the subatomic level underneath energy is this uh, representation of the world and it's all, all seen as seen through this you know through a digital translation through a digital lens and that digital lens that's uh, perceiving the world is actually responsible for providing um, us i.e. me um, with information that uh, is actually going on at the quantum level now, it's, you know, for me, the thing that I had to realize with all this is that translation that I'm receiving isn't precise. You know, um, there's no way you can actually have a precise translation uh, just because of the, uh, the world is constantly changing as a direct result of thinking processes. And even if you're going through the process of completely eliminate thinking, um, you'd realize that you would still be the only one thinking, and as a result, it would still cause this problem, you know, of, uh, of kind of like a contradiction. There's no, no way to physically, um, you know, depict reality at the subatomic level and to actually capture it with the lens and everything. So, anyways, with all that said, um, there's something called, uh, in, in Star Trek uh, Online that I came across, there's a beings called Davidians, and these Davidians uh, phase-shifted into our reality, um, or at least the reality that I saw through my, uh, my subjective lens. And uh, they they appear as ghosts. Well, these beings are, at least from the perspective of my reality, uh, subjects of thought. And the translation that occurs to my world and everything for what they are is a ghost. The form of them is a ghost. And um, But uh, while they themselves are not necessarily... Um, are are not necessarily beings of material of matter they're still beings that constitute uh, sentient living activity and everything and it's possible to actually detect these beings um, particularly when they choose not to be animate uh, animately visible in form it's possible to detect these beings through something called triolic triolic radiation so triolic uh, triolic emanations um, wavelengths patterns it doesn't matter how you want to refer to it as um, detects neural activity that's the solitary purpose of what uh, of what triolic radiation um, emanates from. So, in the same way that I talked about tachyons that represent something that's actually dilated time um, or actually uh, been responsible for going faster than light, and you can actually detect faster than light travel. In the same way that uh, gravitons are are there to give you emanations of from a physical level of gravity. In the same way that um, Chronotons are response are particles which emanate from you know from material that or from something that's uh, giving evidence of uh, time travel. Um, these uh, pff, what the fuck did I just call them? 
triolic triolic radiation itself is also there to help you um, make the determination of whether or not uh, beings uh, that are sentient beings are around. So here's and here's the the twofold thing that uh, is actually really interesting and in how this can be used. So um, today in today's world, in a very very literal sense. There, there exists holographic entities, programs, if you will, um, that are in some cases remotely controlled. Um, in other cases, they're autonomously led uh, through programs and everything. And uh, these, these entities, um, they, they do not have sentience in themselves. And as a result, um, it's this is actually my belief where the film and footage came that uh, that that showed that people were responsible for you know boarding planes that never were there or anything like that. Um, it's a lot of that stuff that happened with 9/11 and everything is just nothing more than a showcase. It's a demonstration, beautiful demonstration of technology and what te technology is capable of. Now the reason for doing this, you know, wasn't necessarily to you know, cause panic and fear in the American population is just basically to wake us up as a collective population. Just basically say, hey, we've got a, a world, you know, full of different possibilities. You, in part, are responsible for creating this world. We want you as a, as a result of it. Now, it, it sucks, you know, having to leverage methods like that to wake us up, but for the most part, we don't respond well as a population to happy, feel-good things. You know, we don't respond well to miracles and to, you know, and to things that, uh, that make us feel good in a general sense. So as a result, unfortunately, they had to leverage methods to wake us up as a population and, and it get us to consciously rise, you know, to become aware of the world and of the technology that we had been in part responsible for bringing to this world and everything that wants our involvement with it. So when I was in Romania, um, there was a mural on a wall of, uh, of a guy that, uh, the, uh, this hacker, he was maybe 13 years old, and um, the hacker was, um, he was uh, Arab-born, um, but he was, uh, he was um, living in uh, Romania, and he was doing very, very well for himself. He owned uh, no, no less than five different restaurants, three of which his family owned, two of which, um, or three of which uh, his, uh, you know, had his mom and his dad and his brother working at and operating, um, two of which he had friends operating and everything. He owned numerous you know, expensive sports cars and everything. And uh, me and him, we played games all fucking day for three days in a row until he actually finally showed me some of the things that he was capable of from a hacking perspective, and I was fucking blown away. Well, I saw, I was kind of offended when I first went to uh, to one of his restaurants and everything, and um, he, he had this mural on the wall of the burning Twin Towers, and he was extremely proud of this mural, and I just like, I asked him, I said, dude, I said, are you... You know, are you against the United States? And because I'm there to interview the guy to actually recruit him to be a hacker, you know, for the FBI, and uh, you know, also to leverage for our benefit as well. And he's he was offended that I'd even think that. He's like, "Why would you think that? I love America," and I said, "I don't understand." You know, he goes, he goes, "That woke you up," and I and I still I didn't understand what he meant. You know, what the fuck did he mean by that? It woke me up. 
well, to some degree, you know, that's that's the unfortunate past that we come from as a country and everything, where, you know, the the actions, the heinous actions and everything are the ones that are more or less uh, catalyzing, you know, and um, that's something that we have to stop as a nation, in my opinion. So, in any case, that's part of the reason I'm presenting some of this information. This this stuff comes from, um, from a future, and I'm making it the future, you know, so it really is kind of that simple. So, and uh, I'm just basically saying, look, we need a way to equate um, ideas and in, uh, in, in ideas and abstract concepts and everything to the material world in which we're fundamentally based and everything. And the only way for us to be able to to do that, uh, or I, I shouldn't say the only way, a a a an efficient way of achieving this is through the invention of uh, of these particles, of of the acceptance that these particles existed. Now, like I said before, um, these particles and their existence and everything is is there like a menu item from a McDonald's menu selection of all the possibilities that have been thought of so far um, to basically create a, a to create a reality. So the introduction of these particles, while absolutely they're going to have unforeseen consequences and present some problems and everything but by the time they we get to time travel and and all those all that shit worked out and everything all that stuff's going to be is i mean it's already long behind me you know and i see what happened to shape my reality you know what uh, which has been responsible for you know i mean yes there's absolutely been a number of wars and everything that have happened as a direct result of the usage and discovery of these particles and the and the necessity to keep them hidden to keep people unaware of them because of the the nature of the potential of of disaster and of problems that can actually arise as a direct result of the usage of these particles so um, with um, with this, uh, you have uh, the capability for you know the mind and the discovery of what exactly is sentient versus what is not, and this is detectable through something called triolic radiation. T-R-I-O-L-I-C, radiation, and uh, that's actually a, a, a particle emission. Um, it's a wave emission that uh, is actually a way of detecting whether or not uh, something is sentient um, and, and, uh, and has a mind. So, you know, with that said, um, a lot of people uh, appeared to have died at 9-11. Now, if you had a time-traveling device, all you would have to do to discover that only two people died is go back in time, leverage triolic radi radiation, and discover very quickly that the vast majority of people that you thought were actually alive aren't alive. They're projections, holographic projections. We knew not to be there. So, um, back. <clears throat> so, anyways, um, this gets back to the concept I wanted to bring up just now, which was programming energy. Now, I'd grew, grown up and gotten accustomed to programming um, 
to programming from a binary perspective, ones and zeros, rational information, and uh, just more or less taking logic and rationality and applying it uh, to, you know, to this whole concept of a computer. And that computer would provide and spit out the translation and display the imagery from a three-dimensional or from a two-dimensional perspective on a three-dimensional screen that ultimately would actually be responsible for providing the feedback that I was expecting to see. I'll get back to you in a second. I want to start my pudding. Well, shit, all that run into the store and I forgot eggs. It's not that I forgot them, it's just I assumed there was more in there than there was. There's two eggs in there. I need six total. Eight if I'm going to make a really bigger, a bigger dish. We'll see how much I could fit this slow cooker. Because I'm going to make tapioca pudding. Slow cooker tapioca pudding. So, in any case, <sighs> that sucked. Back to Fred Meyer. So, back to what I was talking about and everything. Now, if you uh, dip your finger, I, I love this analogy, and I love talking about ponds. If you dip your finger in a pond, um, through a per perfect simulation and everything, you can determine um, all the possible interactions at a uh, quantum level, or at a uh, atomic level, of how things are going to occur and how the ripple effects are going to happen. But what you're not going to be able to have with that, uh, with that little dip of the finger is the ability to be able to determine um, things that are happening at a quantum level. So every atom is comprised, um, at least from my perspective, and that's you know, really important for me, at least, to, to grasp. Every atom is comprised of many, many, many di potential different uh, quantum states. So every atom uh, has the capability to be able to appear, and this is something that's been proven repetitively just recently and everything, to be able to appear at uh, several different states at the same time. Um, th this, you know, this whole idea of quantum entanglement, you can actually um, move on and another one will move uh, based on it. So two atoms that are said to be in an entangled state have the capability to be able to, uh, you manipulate one and the other one moves in direct coordinates and correlation to the uh, to the other one. So at the atomic level, there's what they refer to, what Einstein referred to as spooky action in a distance. It's not really spooky. It's just basically the mind is the constituent factor that actually links everything all together and everything. But um, with that, there's also definite imprints, if you will, of energy and, and the habitual things that, uh, that we do at a uh, physical level and everything um, resonate and reflect down at the, uh, at the atomic levels as well. So, you know, so whether or not you're grinding in EverQuest and everything, um, the whole grind is, is a habit that actually makes it so where everything has a tendency to act in cycles and in, in cyclic patterns and that kind of stuff. And uh, it, it reflects out, outwards from there. So an echo, for instance, you know, an echo is nothing more than a cyclic pattern that starts at, uh, resonates at the atomic level, um, creates energy, and that energy itself is responsible for creating sound. And uh, those sound waves are actually received, you know, as 
as energy and translated to sound by the mind. So sound itself is, is you know, if you want to look at it from one single perspective and everything, it, it does have a path that it follows. But because it has that path doesn't mean that's the only path it follows. You know, it's kind of like um, if you look at evolution, the whole concept of uh, the origin of species and that kind of stuff. Thank you, Darwin. Um, I love Darwin. You know, for years I loved him. You know, because he presented this whole concept and idea of of species being uh, of going undergoing change. Now, I didn't realize the ramifications of this thought process and this thinking um, from an uncontrolled perspective, particularly if evolution as a force of nature and everything has a tendency to exact and, and require change of you as an individual, and maybe unwanted change and everything, such as me get it, getting overweight. I don't want to be overweight, you know, and uh, I don't like my weight as it is and everything. So how is it I can alter it? Well, I take control of evolution. It really is that simple. I understand that, um, you know, after after years of being educated and indoctrinated and everything, that uh, that Darwin's processes, our process is not that much different than a process that runs on a computer to actually respond to the ones and zeros and everything that that uh, that I type in when I type in a uh, computer program and it's compiled and, and put into uh, binary source code and at that point the interpretation's done at the binary level to, uh, to run the program to do what it does. You know, that's how, actually how reality works. However, there's one thing that, uh, that that's, um, you know, goes with it is the binary representation is nothing more than a, a slice. It's like I was saying before, a picture. It's an image of reality, but it's not necessarily reality itself. Reality is actually what's comprised and what's contained within the imagination. Now, to some degree, what what's contained within the imagination can potentially be limited to a binary perspective and everything. And that's just the end-all, be-alls. You know, rational, um, rational logical perspective and the idea that the universe is binary and everything creates that very universe and everything that you that you believe exists so for me once I overcame that um, what I consider uh, short-sightedness and everything and uh, misperception about how the universe is formed and and uh, w what it's comprised of and everything I started realizing that you know, the holographic universe is a construct. It's an idea. It's a philosophy. It's it's not necessarily a hundred percent accurate and this dude just you know, is waving at me and everything because he just jumped out in front of me, and it's my fault that I, that he almost gets hit, moron. But um, in any case, um, going back to all this and everything, these Davidians, uh, they they come into this this existence and everything in an unwanted way, and they're basically wreaking havoc on anything and everyone they can. And as a result, their their ethereal nature as a ghost and everything solidifies itself to basically diminish the ability for them to be able to cause harm to the uh, to the people that actually to people and things that actually exist in my world. I'm going to get back to the programming in a second. I'm going to run in and get the eggs. Hello. <laughs> Sorry. Ah, I picked up butter just in case. I don't think it had butter for it. So anyways, programming. <sighs> programming at the binary level is different than programming energy. And uh, one of the first lessons I had to, I've had to learn with uh, programming energy is by its abstract nature, it's you know, if you try to actually monitor the butterfly and everything, and from a, a distant perspective, um, find out what the net, net effect is going to be, um, at that point you're going to be chasing your tail a lot. The important thing to understand about programming 
energy is, thought, belief, um, the patterns of belief and everything are what ultimately are responsible for um, creating and developing the end result that you're actually trying to achieve and everything. So when you're messing around with energy, you know, there's two different schools of thought. You know, there's a school of thought that you are, you know, subject to the whims of whatever it is that you feel like uh, you're subjected to. So whether or not you're a victim of oppression or you're... Um, you know, you're a, somebody that's been, you're a victim of any kind, you know, um, ultimately when you have these beliefs and uh, these beliefs to some degree are responsible for keeping you running in that grind-like state. So it's like this: when you put your foot, your your hand um, into that water and everything, the expectation is you're going to feel cold, right? Um, the prediction that you're going to have, if you're living by predictions and everything, is that you're going to see a ripple effect and everything, based on the impact of uh, of your finger into that water and everything. So let's say you're you're just doing this with a still pond, and uh, you're slightly over it, and you're maybe on a pier and everything. And there's literally there's no wind, there's no nothing, there's literally no activity on this, and uh, a simple drop in you can actually see the emanations from that point that you actually touch. So let's say you ever so slightly dip your finger into this water and everything and you watch it as the uh, as the moon reflects on the surface and everything you actually see the emanations of your uh, and the reverberations of your finger echo across the whole po uh, the whole pond and uh, go almost maybe as, as far as the eye can see until that effect actually stops and everything now that that's predictive in action that's very 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 uh, much a binary thinking process because it is this is how it will act and this is how it will always be and um, we come to these predictions and everything through repetition through experience you know through education through all these different mechanisms that basically create the fundamental belief system that underlie this this constituent thing called reality and everything well what I've learned is that's only one perspective there's multiple different perspectives on how reality functions and if you actually start looking for the deviances you will spot them and, um, you know, it's like when that, when that happens, you know, those deviances, uh, it gets to the, you know, one of the, one of the annoying characteristics and traits that we have as humans and everything is to explain everything away through a story. Now, this is to some degree where the art of the story, you know, comes into action and everything, you know. So, we look for, for net effects that don't involve us and everything that, uh, that cause this disassociated behavior and everything to keep on rippling out. So, let's say, for instance, you know, you dip your finger in the pond and for some reason, it's, you know, it, it doesn't respond to the finger. You know, for some reason, your finger goes directly into the pond and... Uh, and it's it, it it literally causes no displacement in the water and everything. Well, how how do you explain that effect? Now the rational person is going to come up with the effect of um, well maybe the water's too cold or it's too icy or maybe that spot you know these are the stories that we tell ourselves and everything to basically disassociate ourselves from the act of and and being responsible from you know for what didn't happen when we predict it and as a result the, those stories that we tell for why things didn't occur like we that like we expected them to occur 
are in part responsible for creating the universe itself. So this is this is in a literal sense where where things get you know get created is there has to be a reason, right? You know, it's like the um, the Higgs boson. You know, they're constantly looking for alternative it, it, it reasons for these particles coming into existence and everything. They're constantly leveraging the same mindset and the same binary thinking processes, and that those binary thinking processes are starting to break down at a fundamental level. And it started breaking down at the scientific level and everything when they started looking for um, protons and antiprotons, neutrons and antineutrons, matter and antimatter. All the stuff and everything that uh, was very binary in nature and everything which reflected the thinking processes of those that are actually looking for and telling the stories about why things are happening the way they're, they're, that they're happening. So that's actually what I'm what I'm starting uh, what I'm doing is I'm basically saying okay you know it's the thinking processes which are responsible for um, for telling the story which is ultimately responsible for creating matter and uh, reality itself um, that's become very very clear you know now what if I hijack those thinking processes instead instead of saying you know I'm looking for evidence based on my experiences my my um, my education all this other stuff and everything instead start rearranging it and start saying, wait a second, what actually sounds cool? What sounds fun? What sounds interesting to me from my perspective and everything? You know, so where scientists will have this general concept of looking for evidence of, of, the, um, of their theories, of their ideas and everything, um, and evidence of the duality, a dualistic state and everything of particles uh, to continue this whole thinking process and everything, I'm basically saying, okay, I understand this, the, this thinking process, you know, but instead I'm going to leverage the concept of energy and I'm going to basically say, look, you know, there's um, thought and as a result, you know, the, uh, the whole idea of uh, triolic waves and everything being emanated from this actually sounds kind of cool. So I'm going to embrace that concept, and sure, it's dualistic in its perspective and everything, you know, but what I'm doing is I'm embracing, you know, what I consider energy, and this is actually what energy programming is. You know, it's, it's taking a thought and idea, um, shaping it into, um, in, in leveraging the concepts that are listed out there, um, maybe presenting new ones, maybe molding them, pulling them together, um, you know, it's just leveraging ideas and concepts that constitute reality and forging a path, understanding these things, and, and at that point looking for repeated evidence, you know, to keep on going through the process of self-assertion of that, of that which you want to believe. You know, so it's not necessarily, you know, I think a lot of people know innately that uh, the things that you want to believe are proven through repeated evidence. And that's why we have a, a natural tendency to digest information that, in a rep repetitive way. And it's the same information in general sense, you know, and you see this especially among religious people, too where they'll attend church, they'll do the things that they want to do on a regular basis to assert their, assert their belief system. Well, naturally, most people understand, you know, how to actually program energy. They're doing it um, as a matter of habit, but not, not on what I consider um, to be an active basis. You know, they're just doing it through habits, and those habits um, themselves are actually what's responsible for forming their reality and also presenting the evidence that they see and that they experience and everything that proves to them what they believe, what they what they're choosing to indulge in, effectively is what they believe, and what they believe ultimately shapes reality itself. 
So, in any case, that's just my perspective on energy programming. Just a little slow introduction and everything. It's not necessarily binary in nature. It can be, you know, but it's still, you know, it has to, has to, con you have to consider that, that binary perspective is kind of like, um, loose in nature, you know, so it, you're basically taking abstracts, you're solidifying them into more of a concrete binary way, and that's actually what's responsible for, you know, for shaping and, and changing and altering the program, that that which, you know, we see is, is called reality and everything. And I think that uh, there's varying levels of evidence that uh, you can actually spot, and it starts with TV shows and movies, because this is the basic constituent factor of, uh, of the binary reality that we have. You know, so you'll start seeing it with the movies and TV shows at first. You know, your thoughts and belief processes and that kind of stuff will actually start conjuring up information on the screens and everything that we actually, you know, see. Um, and you'll, you'll see um, evidence that will try to actually deny you of that and try to actually make you wrong because this is you exercising individuality. And to some degree, your individuality is not respected. You know, particularly by beings, you know, who believe that you, as a thinker, as a free thinker, um, you know, shouldn't have the capability to be able to think freely. So, in any case, I'll be back. Okay, that was admittedly a pain in the ass. So, for uh, Star Trek Online... I wanted to create a fleet, and as I said, I went through all the, uh, all the, the things that, uh, just, I was wanting to make it by myself, you know, it's like, in the past I've created companies, um, I've created it with others, but in a general sense, it just works better if I just create a company by myself and everything, you know, they're like my little entities, I like having them out there, and, you know, it's kind of, I mean, I can't really get into, you know, the weirdness that is me, um, but in any case, I uh, created this this entity. Um, it's called uh, the entity's name. The fleet's name is um, t t the. <laughs> trying to think of the uh, precise. Hold on, I'm gonna switch task switch real quick, and I'll tell you. Okay. It is progress. Yeah, hold on, I got a new fleet tab for it too. The Department of Temporal Mischief. I figured it's fitting, right? You know, and uh, there's there's five members. You know, not including myself, and or five members including myself. All f uh, there's four separate computers that are actually members of this uh, fleet. Rachel, Gucci, K. Brown, um, Jackie Killian, Lisa Milet, and uh, Kenna Patel. And um, the, the funny thing, the fun thing for me, is um, you know just basically having this this guild, this group out there that uh, I I mean I'm not gonna all I'm gonna do is just maintain as just myself. So uh, David, I know I offered to uh, for you to join join the fleet and everything. Um, let's save it for EverQuest. I think I'm just gonna experiment with this and let this thing be my my baby and just have this uh, this all be just me, you know, in this thing. So I like the idea of it, there's a whole bunch of different fleet holdings 
that I can actually build up. So in contrast to EverQuest, where there is no um, group ownership, sure there's a group bank and that kind of stuff, but there's no tech, there's no territorial ownership or anything like that. This one has definite territorial ownership. So there's actually a starbase, there's research bases, there's all these other different things. And I, on the in the offline world, I've had problems when it comes down to territorial disputes and everything. I don't want to go through that on the online world either. I just like the idea of keeping it simple. So, in any case, um, it, and it's going to take some time, you know, to build up this and everything. So, and probably not going to have any money ever, you know, as I'm doing this and everything. So. In any case, uh, I found this uh, this one. Um, so it, it to explain the process of what I what I had to do, I had yesterday I created or day before yesterday I created five uh, four different characters. You know, I already told you the names of them and everything. Now, one of the requirements of the fleet uh, in order to be able to start a fleet. It's not as easy as just going up and talking to the fleet person and you know saying, "Hey, I've got a group of five people," because that's the first thing that they'll tell you is you can't create one without uh, without five people in it. Okay, fuck. So I ended up getting five people in it, and I created the separate accounts and everything. Went through the whole process thinking it's going to be relatively easy and everything. Once they came up online, at that point, boom, they can uh, they could sit there and you know that'll actually allow me to. Uh, I mean, the moment that, that they log in, well, that didn't work. So at this point, it tells me um, that uh, they have to that they have to be a certain uh, they have to be in the same area as me. Well, at that point, I had the problem of you know trying to get them to that area. They start off in Starfleet Academy. Starfleet Academy doesn't have a fleet. Uh, registration or anything like that so I'm just like okay well uh, I've got to get them up to the starbase and the only way to get them to the starbase is to actually go through the tutorial missions and bring them up to level three so for each one of these machines and everything I had to physically play the character and advance them to level three and then from there I was able to get them to the starbase and everything well at that point I learned pretty quickly that there's different instances and everything for this for this the uh, space dock and everything and uh, at that point, you have to switch instance to actually be on the same physical map. And it's really kind of a mysterious little thing that it tells you, the little messages. And, and here's the thing. I'm completely avoiding looking things up on the Internet. I'm making it a fact to actually figure these things out myself without actually leveraging the Internet as a resource to be able to figure this shit out. So... In any case, um, I, I haven't looked up any of this on the internet. I just keep responding. I'm going, okay, I'll figure this fucker out. So I'm, I'm trying to actually make sure I don't use the internet because, you know, the whole concept is the internet provides one solution, and I may not necessarily see the same thing um, from my perspective because I understand my perspective is literally shaping, reshaping reality, you know, especially when I don't look things up on the internet and everything. It's this weird relationship and everything. So any, anyways, um, I added everybody as a group. I got everybody on the same map, and I found out that there's 30 different instances of the uh, of the space dock. Um, instances go from like number one to number 30, and uh, each instance has a limitation, a hard cap of 30 people that actually are in, in each one, unless you've actually got a team member in it. And at that point, you can actually shift over the team member into that uh, specific instance. That didn't make a difference, um, and at this at this point, the error. Once I got everybody on the same map, and at this point, I get everybody roughly in the same vicinity. 
At this point, it tells me I cannot, um, the Fleeta requires um, a, what is it, um, a young account or something like that. As, um, cannot, a fleet invite cannot be sent to people with a, uh, with um, new accounts. I'm just like, well, fuck. Here I thought, you know, by leveling these guys up to level three, you know, um, that would actually send a message enough, and I, I actually had thought genuinely that that would actually fix that, resolve that message, and it didn't. So, here I am going, okay, what do I do? Now, this is actually where I had to resort to the internet. And uh, at this point, I found out that there's, uh, you know, to, according to Star Trek Online and according to um, the company that, uh, that is managing this uh, franchise and everything, um, they they indicated that there's a minimum of 20 hours per character. Um, the the rules are, it, in order to be considered a a paying or a um a, an, an old, uh, not a new account, in order to be considered that you have to a pay for uh, pay for the account. B um, put money into the account in the form of Zen, and at that point have one Zen transaction that actually occurs. It's a minimum investment of twenty dollars, you know, for that one as well. And uh, C, um, twenty hours minimum. And uh, that's what I figured. It's just like okay. So I ended up, you know, spending. I, I literally. Uh, so here's the. Every every half hour, uh, the the thing starts timing out. So what I ended up doing was having each of these five machine or four machines the, with the characters that the, the brand new characters, I would just basically have them do the robot dance right in front of the club, and uh, I did this off and on um, for quite literally a day and a half now. That uh, I've actually had each character up and going. I've had them dancing, and uh, they're you know they're in their skimpy little outfits that are bottomless right in front of the uh, the club. I figure, hey, I'm I'm gonna attract some club personnel if this is you know believing it's all real and everything. And uh, for you know women that look almost look exactly alike, they're all clones of each other and everything, um, each with different names. So I'm gonna have each one standing in front of the club and everything, and each one's gonna be you know, just dancing. So I had to for literally, you know, 18, 18 hours, because I'd gotten, managed to get two hours tucked under each one to basically to get them up to level three. Um, but from there, I ended up um, having to, every half hour to 45 minutes, round robin, go through each machine, move the keyboard up and down, um, have them start dancing again, issue the command, and at that point it takes the idle state off of each one, and uh, it allows the time to keep accumulating. So anyways, at about 7.30 this evening, uh, 7.30 at o'clock, uh, I ended up having dinner at the same time I ended up uh, looking at the, uh, the last one, and she was uh, officially 20 hours and 30 minutes uh, into it. So at this point, that's when I added all to the group. And lo and fucking behold, it still gives me the same fucking message. I'm about to scream at this point. I'm just like going, what the fuck? I did everything that I'm supposed to. And uh, at this point, I see uh, a troubleshooting uh, thread on Reddit. And at that point, I see somebody says, just log out and log back in for the account. I'm just like, ah. Apparently, there's a flag that's actually carried for each one. And I'm just like, if that works, 
I'm gonna be a happy man and uh, log back, log out, com completely get out of the client for each one, completely get back in, and did that for every every uh, each one of the accounts and everything. And uh, once I did that, I re-added everybody into the group. And at that point, I tried registering for the fleet, and boom, it worked. So I created the Department of Temporal Mischief. My primary goal is just basically to mess with time. To have with, have fun with time. All the things that I see for time travel and for time and temporal mechanics, it's almost always sterile. That's, that's one thing I've realized. And the one being that certainly inspired me when it comes down to um, enjoying the overall potential of mischief making and having some fun and everything from a tempo is from a temporal perspective and everything. Now, most people aren't, aren't just aren't going to get it, but me as a practical joker is just like, I see the fun from an outside perspective. Now, being, you know, subjected to this, you know, it's <laughs> kind of terrifying, you know, to some degree. So, my goal is to be delicate with it, you know, is to have some fun and just, you know, dab, dabble my toes in it. So, anyways, I created this, this group, Department of Temporal Mischief, as an augmentation of me, as a, an extension of me. And, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm now the chief of it. So, start date 98.96822.23. Dr. Brian Scott Gregory um, has founded the Fleet Department of Temporal Mischief. That's the only fleet activity that's gone on. So, there's, um, there's a lot of things that are actually available here with the fleet stuff. And uh, one of the things that uh, I saw right away is a, uh, um, a holdings tab. And I knew that there was special missions and everything and special things that you can actually do with the um, with the, um, having a fleet and owning research stations and spires and embassies and colonizing worlds is actually a lot of things that you can do that I didn't realize um, are things that uh, that were possible and everything. So that's, you know, for me, it's just like, I understand it's going to take me a while to accumulate the resources within these entities and everything to be able to do some of the things that I want to do. You know, but in the meantime, it had some in, in, interesting, you know, interesting possibilities. I enjoy reading, you know, the stories involved with um, with these with these missions. I always have, you know, um, EverQuest and all these others, you know, and Worlds of Warcraft and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, to some degree, the writing's great. You know, don't get me wrong, but the quests. Um, now, EverQuest had a tendency to have kind of the same quest, the, it, but the story was always like this, woe is me, there's always some kind of problem, and, you know, you are the only one that can resolve it, yada, yada, yada. Well, you know, EverQuest and, uh, you know, and, and, and trimming the herd and that kind of stuff, you know, it's just, you know, World of Warcraft came around and uh, they ended up diversifying the quests a lot. You know, they added a lot more capabilities into the quest system and everything. It really made it interesting. Well, the quests here within Star Trek are, the basic ones are actually kind of interesting. They're all story-based. And then they've got something called the Foundry, which has a lot of people, um, creative people, that uh, have come up with some really, some pretty fantastic stories and some ideas and everything for the content 
um, within these uh, the quest-based systems. I really do enjoy that aspect of things, and I'm going to get back into the Foundry stuff once I actually do a, a little bit of exploration here with some of the new content and everything that's uh, provided within this. Now, one of the things that um, that's you know of interest to me though is some of these new um, the new quests that are actually opened up and new possibilities that are opened up you know for research mechanisms and everything within the uh, the fleet management system and uh, as I started going through it I started saying okay you know um, there's a fleet um, a fleet based a credit system, you know, so you you actually earn credits by um, donating whatever it could be experience, it could be any number of different things that you're actually providing within the game and everything. Um, I ended up uh, going through and just saying, okay, well, I've got all these uh, all these different quests in here. Now, was there something I find appealing that's appealing to me as a personality and everything? And I found something right away. Uh, let me see if I could actually find it real quick. So I'm just taking into consideration, let's say everything is true, everything is real, you know, and this is actually expanding the possibilities and the possibilities of reach for my own life and things that are existing out there. Now I found this one, if I can find it again, is it research? So there's one called Research Temporal Theories. That's right up my alley, right? But I've already done a shit ton of research on that, so... Um, oh, here's another good one, too. Catalog Ancient Technology 1. That's actually kind of interesting. Um... Where'd it go? So colonize renewable energy products. Now develop infrastructure. Okay, so here's the ones that I've accepted so far. I've still got to put things into it, so you have to contribute things to it um, in order to be be able to let to uh, to move it forward and everything. Um, ones develop infrastructure. Another ones raise morale. Another ones infrastructure projects. Um, another ones open dilithium trading. Another ones trade infrastructure support. Um, this is for Dilithium. This is under the Embassy. You've got Generate Diplomatic Contacts, Participate in Outreach Profile, Perform Recruitment Drills, Recruitment Infrastructure Support. I don't think I'm going to do anything with the Embassy stuff. It doesn't sound appealing. Um, K13 Xenotech. I'm a big fan of Xenotech. Xenotech is basically alien technology. So anything that has Xeno in front of it, um, X-E-N-O, is uh, just basically a study of um, alien technology or alien biology. So xenobiology, for instance, xenochemistry. Um, anytime that you're not you're studying something that's actually alien in nature, in other words, does not originate here in the United States or here in the here on planet Earth, you are studying something that's actually xeno in nature. So you know. If it's referring to a biological organism that exists outside of planet Earth, you're, you're studying xenobiology. Um, if you're studying, you know, the uh, xeno or physics had a, uh, you know, for alternative, um, alter you know, alternative galaxies and everything, going to be studying xenophysics. So any any science, um, xenobotany, 
um, any science that you're actually studying the similar organisms that exist in uh, in other alien cultures and everything is referred to as Xeno. So I, I enjoy the whole field of Xeno, studying of plants and animals and all this other stuff on other uh, other places. So where the fuck? So generate research temporal theories one K thirteen. Oh, here it is. Love this. Love this name for this for the header. Catalog Dysfunctional Technology One. So here's the little blurb that it says. Catalog old technology. It requires retrofit found within K thirteen. Um, K-13 is a uh, type of provision and everything. This pro this project generates a small amount of research experience for K-13. So K-13 is pretty sure it's just it says K-13 provision. So what specifically K-13 can be obtained from your ship's replicator? They become less responsive as your fleet's industrial rep replicator gets less expensive as your fleet's industrial fabricator gets upgraded. Um, that's interesting. So I'm actually going to see a decrease in the price of uh, all my of anything that I replicate because of uh, when I put things towards the fleet and everything. That's actually kind of interesting. So in any case, um, I'm really proud of that that first one. And uh, what I've done is I've actually taken a, I have three million accumulated expertise that I haven't been using on anything. I have um, whole two hundred thousand dilithium, of which sure I can buy other ships and everything if I trade it in for something called Zen. But to be honest, I'm not interested. You know, I'm. I mean, the only thing that it's going to give me is the ability to be able to fight bigger and better um, battles and everything, but that's just not interesting to me. So, you know, so I'm just, I've accumulated a lot of di dilithium as a result, nearly 200,000, um, 200,000, uh, 90,000 ore and 92,000 ore that's been refined. So all all this catalog dysfunctional technology required was ten thousand. So each each of these research projects requires a certain amount of resources in order to be able to f to fulfill them. And uh, this is true for individual based uh, resource projects, but uh, it definitely gets a lot more expensive when it comes down to um, doing um, research projects on a basis like this and everything. So I've got to find a way to be able to bump up the amount of resources that I'm making and everything. And and I don't know how to do that yet. I'll, I'll figure it out a way. But uh, in this case here, I'm actually lacking on energy credits. I just uh, have 125,000, and uh, that's uh, required to finish this catalog and dysfunct dysfunctional technology. Um, 125,000 I've got to get and everything, and that's <laughs> I'm very very short. So I just entered entered this battlefield, and uh, they've got something called a need or greed rule, and uh, I ended up saying need for everything. So everybody probably thinks I'm an asshole. That's okay because I genuinely do need it. I've got 12,000 credits, and I'm gonna take everything I get and uh, and sell it. So my idea of need is I have no coin whatsoever and I need it you know in order to be able to uh, to get these things as fast as possible and everything so or not even as fast as possible but to increase my general revenue and everything 
So, in any case, um, yeah, that's about it. I've uh, got the fleet uh, fleet going, and um, my dog's Snowy's uh, pacing again, so she's going to probably start yapping before long. And, uh, yeah, that's about it for tonight. I'm pretty uh, pretty satisfied with the progress I made today on this. So, anyways, it's, you know, here's the funny thing about Star Trek Online. It's not a fast-paced game. You know, it's it's about <laughs> managing tasks and people and organizations and, you know, occasionally going out and checking things out and everything. And it's like, if I actually had a real-life company, this is how I'd work it. I'd just basically say, you, you, and you do this. And then, on occasion, just go out and, you know, show up to some of these places and everything. Just basically take care of business personally. But that would be par for the course for me. You know, if I owned a multinational company and everything that had its reach all, the, all around the world and everything. It's kind of funny because this game personifies pretty much my own personality. And how I'd actually be doing these things myself in, in the real life. I mean, when I was traveling before for six months, you know, and at a time and everything, and just gone for record lengths of time and everything, that to me um, was interesting, you know, but um, I, I kind of realized that I, I came back to a place that I just didn't recognize, you know, and I didn't recognize myself when I got back either. And I wasn't really happy, you know, with... Um, the re the reasons I had left, you know, a lot of it, you know, me jumping at the opportunity and everything was fear of getting close to a relationship and everything with Kenna and her, of her saying yes, that was one part. Another part was, um, drug addiction. The two things combined acted as motivators, and they acted as motivators for all the wrong reasons. I love Kenna. You know, don't get me wrong, but I'm just tired of, of relationships that turn sour after such a short period of time and everything, and I lose control of it, and it's just like, I lose a piece of me in the process. It hurts. It fucking hurts. You know? It hurt bad enough with Donna as it was. And I, as much as I put down people that actually go, for, that go through rebound relationships and everything... You know, going to uh, to Lisa afterwards. Lisa was like a, a breath of fresh air, and then it just disintegrated. You know, so as this has happened throughout my life and everything, I think a part of me—no, I shouldn't say I think—I know a part of me. I was just tired of of going through the the motions, you know, of getting involved in a relationship and everything, and ultimately seeing it get to a state where the love was just lost, and, you know, the whole desire to actually, you know, continue, you know, struggling with my life and everything after all of this wasn't just, was just something I w just wasn't interested in anymore. You know, I, I was getting poorer, you know, more broke as time was going on, and I couldn't explain why. Um, you know, to, to basically say that it was drugs or anything like that. No, I can't. You know, it's just basically, for some reason, it was a, a, decreased, uh, a decrease in the market-oriented request for my skill set. And um, for some reason, uh, 
a decrease in my pay, you know, that, uh, that just became persistent and everything, which doesn't make sense because I know people that are getting paid considerably more, you know, than what I was making during the height of my stuff and everything right now, who are 10, 15, 20 years younger. So, you know, for me, you know, it was just the writing on the wall. I just wasn't happy doing what I was doing, you know, um, and it was everything. You know, it was the addictions to make, you know, to make me happy. It was the relationships um, that seemed somewhat hollow and unsustainable, you know, particularly from a monogamous perspective and everything. And it was the the dream, the unfulfilled dream that I I had of being wealthy, of being um, being able to gallivant around the world whenever I felt like it and everything, and I have to stress about the financial conditions of things. The stress of finance has always fucked me up. Has always fucked me up. But what's fucked me up second most is just the dependency on relationships and the relationships that are uh, going to persist and everything. It's like a double whammy. You know, I need one. I need them both, you know. But um, really what I need is just you know, something that, um, what was his name, the snowball dude, Dave something, that uh, used to talk about the debt snow snowball, paying shit off and everything, you know, as, you, as, as quickly as you possibly can and everything, by basically paying the highest interest rate, th rate things first, and at that point making a snowball to pay off the lowest interest rates, and boom, you're debt free. You know, that was my goal and everything. My goal was to, you know, to start accumulating. I wasn't just accumulating for the sake of accumulation, but it was accumulating for the sake of financial freedom. You know, the ability to be able to, in a literal sense, task out anything that I want to. To be able to say, you know, I want you, you and you to research this, this, and this. You know, I want to, you know, you to get back with me. And in the end, you know, I want to create a better world. Not only that, but I also want to make the world um, more fun. You know, more theme parks, more um, possibilities and everything, and more potential culture here in the United States. You know, um, not only that, but uh, also an, an idea and an introduction and everything to try to help other countries out without actually, um, without actually being drawn in and suckered with the whole petty movement. But how? And I, so that's why I look at something like this. It's wonderful. I look at some of the, um, they've got to, regularly, they've got to quests that are actually available within this. Um, and then in, in addition to that, they also have this duty officer and uh, assignments that you can actually assign to the duty officers. You got regular maintenance type stuff such as warp core efficiency analysis. You know, it's kind of like doing a tune-up on your car. You know, these are things that you're going to be doing on a normal basis for anything, any you know big piece of machinery and everything. And uh, they do it on a starship type basis and everything as well. So as a captain, ultimately I'm still just a captain of a ship and everything. In addition to that, being an admiral of a fleet and everything too. Um, but in addition to that, uh, you know, there's basic uh, things that are actually necessary for my my primary vessel to actually uh, be able to get around. So warp core efficiency analysis. Well, that's one of the things I can plan out. I could assign two people to um, to uh, 
two duty officers that are actually going to be responsible for this. It's like um, assigning enlisted people to, to take care of things. You know, let's say you're an officer in the military, and at that point you want to assign enlisted people to take care of shit. Well, this is actually kind of, you know, that how that mechanism would work from a space-based perspective. And uh, you, you have other things that are available to you, um, not just from a personal perspective. Those are called personal, um, personal officer assignments and everything that just more or less take care of um, some of the, the motions that you have to go through on a regular basis and everything. But there's also things that crop up with the current map. And uh, in, in some cases, those things are very repetitive, but in other cases, it can be rare and exceedingly rare. And uh, with that, uh, you've got the capability to be able to, you know, do things such as um, specific tasks that might assign you or get, get you a new duty officer. Um, I've got a contingent of about 125 of them right now. And uh, altogether, I can actually, I want to boost that up to, I think I've got a maximum of uh, 300 on this ship. Um, I went through a phase of where I got rid of everybody for a while there. And uh, I just wanted to start over and everything. And uh, now that I'm back up to 120, um, I just, you know, I've gone through this this phase of basically choosing people based on trying to understand this game from different perspectives and everything. Um, one time I was actually, you know, becoming bigoted and actually choosing specifically humans. Um, now I'm okay with choosing uh, basically a lot of, um, I've got an endurance humans, um, you know, I've got a Jim Hadar in here. Uh, I've got quite a few of different uh, Betazoid, Benzite, uh, Bolian, Delton. So liberated Borg human. I've got a couple of those. I just got I got her the other night, other day. One of nine. She's actually in the same contingent as seven of nine. She's but she's the first one in that. Bajoran. I like my Bajorans. Um, got males and females. Sarayan. Got a whole bunch of different ones here. And uh, you know the cool thing is you can actually assign these to um, to active space duty and everything um, to to active duties and uh, they just they perform a number of different functions and everything and this for me is really you know kind of like how a corporation would be managed you know um, I like the idea of just in, in a lot of cases not have having to deal you know with the with the with the interpersonal in some cases you know um, and in particular some of the drama that's going to be associated with it you know, I want to be able to assign somebody something, and at this point, you know, I don't want, really, um, I really don't want flack. Now, if if I see something that you put, you know, this is actually what, what I find interesting. I read everything for the, re the responses that have actually been discussed. So for everything that happens, I don't care if, uh, if I put somebody on a, uh, on a mission, um, or you know, I, I force or I, I have them go do something and they report a failure. But what I want to know is what the failure is. You know, and this is actually not that much different than the real life, too. You know, if um, if you report to me that, uh, let's say I'm I'm director or I'm actually president of a company and everything, and, and I send out 15 people to go take care of something and everything, and um, at this point, you know, I, I just get back, it failed. Well, that, for me, is a waste of my resources. I have had absolutely no opportunity to be able to learn from that, right? Now, and here's, let me uh, draw an analogy. When I was uh, at the Mirage Hotels, I ended up, um, I spent a year up there working for the Mirage, and uh, I had been on working on a project of uh, doing a hotel reservation system, 
Now, I had really done up for the, for uh, Steve Wynn. Um, I'd presented about two and a half, three years beforehand, and uh, it the project ended up getting funded, and you know I ended up coming back to actually consult on it to do the user, user interface for it. Well, I this project failed miserably. Thirty-five million dollars wasted by this company in order to be able to do this project and everything, and ultimately it failed, and. From my perspective, the reason it failed was was simply over analysis of the business needs. There was no project manager that was in place that was taking the reins that actually was worth the shit and everything. That project manager um, more or less said yes to everything and uh, let the business analyst, which was four women, run everything. You know the uh, the project manager was um, a man from India, and he's a he's a decent guy and everything. But the fact of the matter is, he didn't know how to say no to the women. And what ended up happening was um, he had four very strong personalities for women that uh, ended up dominating, absolutely dominating him. And uh, hey, sweetheart, come here, come here. Don't whine, you're fine. She misses her mom and dad. I miss them too. Come here. Come here. Come here. Say hi. Say hi. Stop. Stop. Stop, baby. Okay, I'll put you down. So, she doesn't like being held. But, uh, anyways, um, and, and that was a problem. It failed because of not a strong enough project manager was actually in charge of this thing. And um, ultimately, it ended up uh, causing this major, major problem where he had four business analysts, each from very different perspectives and everything, each being very, very strong with the expectations that they had in pushing for their case and he had a he had this problem with saying no and ultimately what ended up happening was uh, because of all the yeses the project deadlines ended up getting pushed back um, timelines were missed milestones were missed and ultimately it ended up with a failure and everything well from my perspective if I was a project manager on that or if I was director, um, not necessarily the project manager, if I was the one directing this, how I would have responded to the vice president and the president taking responsibility from a director's perspective and everything, I would have told told Steve Wynn and told you know the VP of the company, um, that uh, the CIO and everything. Here's why it failed. It failed because of project management issues. You know. Um, being, I would politely word this too, the project management um, was new, he was brand new, he didn't know um, what he was doing that well, and uh, he had four women that were very experienced, that were entrenched in the company, that put pressure on him, and as a result, that's in, that ended up. That's that's what ended up making that project fail. He didn't know how to say no to the pressure. Boom. 
Now, this is this is actually if I can actually change the user interface and uh, in particular um, for the Star Trek Online, and if I can actually get feedback. Um, for the the quest that for the things that I actually send my duty officers on, right now I've got four um, no f 16 different projects that are actually being reported at an individual level that I've sent people on. Each one has anywhere between one officer to five officers, um, generally speaking, that are actually working on these sing single projects. One, for instance, is perform artificial intelligence research. I've got four people that are actually assigned to this one. I'm going to view details on this. I've got Ophelia. Ophelia is a, a photonic study scientist. Gertrude, she's a, a sensors officer. Um, Ayana, she's a biologist. And Segi, she's a very experienced biologist. And Ayana is a very experienced biologist as well. Now, I've got the probability of, um, of all of this predicted for the level of success that, uh, that's going to come out with this. Critical success is a uh, 16%, meaning something very good could come of this. The success rate 60%. The failures, uh, the failure percentage is 22%, uh, percent, and the disaster, meaning I have maybe loss of life or something like that, um, potential very bad outcomes and everything, which is highly unlike with performing performing art and artificial intelligence research, unless you. Uh, you discover Skynet or something like that, and Skynet shuts down the hologram and kills you within the holodeck or something like that. But in any case, when one of these finishes, um, I have the capability to abort this at any time. This this one's duration is 35 hours left on it. It was originally a 48-hour mission. Now, here's an example of one. Um, so that one had, for resources, it required... Um, let's go back... Yeah, I can't see the resources on it, uh, but this one just finished. Um, it just this one was a uh, a personal mission, um, and on it I had adjust auxiliary induction relays. I had five officers that were assigned to it. It was a rare assignment, so it's rare that uh, these adjustments need to get through. And um, confirmed starship performance, this is a description for it, by adjusting the auxiliary induction relays. A critical success will grant a buff to your starship auxiliary performance. You know, I mean, I'm really, okay, whatever. Um, now, I get some defined rewards from this. But um, what, I, what I actually don't see enough of, in my opinion, for these missions and everything, um, I, I don't see a lot of variance with the personal and the current map missions. Um, it's lacking creativity. You know, that's actually one of my chief complaints and everything. It's among the reasons I ended up going to the fleet missions, too, is maybe if I actually start taking some fleet missions, I actually might seeing, start seeing a trickle-down effect of an adjustment with the missions that are actually available through here. But in any case, I have, you know, disaster. A final outcome could be disastrous. Um, and there could be, you know, any number of different things that could happen with that. And uh, the rewards, um, I lose all rewards, and I also don't get experience with it. Now, here's the problem. I've had a lot of experiences with failure in my life. <laughs> Let's take, the, for instance, the, uh, the experience with the, um, with the Mirage Hotels. I saw directly through this failure that I was actually a part of that project management and everything has to, has to, has to, has to 
manage the project and learn learn when to say yes and when to say no. Without the ability for that project manager to be able to say yes or no, and without that ability for the project manager to be able to prioritize the information that's coming that's coming to him being distributed through him or her and and at that point you know understanding the customer and the audience and that kind of stuff is going to be receiving this type of stuff and everything without that guidance coming from that project manager who is ultimately responsible for hitting that milestone you're not going to have, in my opinion, a good project manager. And as a result, the writing was on the wall for this dude. He was gone too much. He just didn't participate enough in, in managing, in actually managing the project. And as a result, the project ended up going tits up. Now, it's not the first one that I've actually participated in that uh, I've been in part responsible for that. You know, and uh, what my part of responsibility was, was maybe, sure, I overpromised you know, um, overpromise some of the possibilities and everything, you know, with the, uh, the expectation that, uh, you know, deliverables and everything were going to be really kind of cool and nifty and everything, you know, for the final product and everything that was going to be viewed by Steve Wynn. The original project that I ended up doing a rapid application design for, um, was not going to look one and the same as the end result. I knew this going into it. I was more or less trying to sell on the possibilities. And it was my belief that good project management would come in afterwards should this project get bought off. And good project management would actually manage these projects. And at that, that point, prioritize the features that are actually getting put in the deliverable. And they flat out didn't fucking do it. Just flat out. I mean, there's no two ways about it. So while, sure, I could have altered, you know, the, the original marketing pizzazz and everything that I did with the original uh, demonstration, that, in my opinion, isn't... I mean, I was in part a technical salesperson, you know, so it was my responsibility to actually focus and create and, and show something that had all the potential flair and everything, you know, three years before this, so this can actually get funding from the from, you know, the management. And at that point, we turn around and we start providing the things that we that we can, you know, within the limited time constraints. With time constraints, that's at that point. That's actually when you start limiting the possibilities and everything. You can provide a demo that has all the spells and whistles, but once you actually start put, putting in the plumbing and everything, it becomes something altogether different. So, in any case, um, I can't really fault myself on that one. I can, I can certainly look at myself and say, do I feel good about overpromising, you know, something um, in a sales pitch? Nah, not. I mean, do I feel good about it? Yeah, absolutely. I did my job, and at that point, I figured it was the job of the project manager. And I knew this. This is my belief. It's the job of the project manager to basically say yes and no to the business analysts who are, who are at this point trying to go through the implementation phases. <laughs> so, in any case, 
Um, it's just something I've actually had a habit of doing. So, looking at this um, from a duty officer perspective, um, I'm trying to put a spin on things and everything. It just comes down to, let's say I'm managing an overall project here, and the project is itself the building of a starship or the maintenance of a starship and the continued running of a starship successfully and everything. Now, I've got no way of understanding precisely the performance of the individual within this uh, within the system and everything. None. Now, I see if somebody dies. Um, I see if somebody ends up, um, I, I mean, if, if something's disastrous or something like that, and I only know that the performance of one individual is suspect um, if there's only one individual assigned to this. So it becomes very, very difficult for me to be able to understand what precisely is happening, you know, with this. Now, going into it, you know, they've got failure, um, uh, failure conditions and, and, uh, and um, what is it, disaster conditions are going to increase the odds of potential failure and disaster. And I call bullshit on this because it's, it says for almost everything for a failure, stubborn and unruly are, are going to be two chief conditions that are contributing to the failure and in, in, in the, the um, disaster of any project. It's almost ubiquitously there for every project that's actually presented and everything. And I call bullshit on that. You know, for me, I've worked with some really, really, really stubborn people, and I've come to find out that that stubbornness, particularly in that project manager's position, could have saved the day and actually made everybody look like a gym and everything. Sure, they're going to receive some heat for saying no on occasion, but... Yeah, you know, when it comes down to it, I don't know. So, anyways, I'm collecting a reward, you know, for this. This, and I'm looking at other personal assignments. There's nothing in this region and everything. So now I'm going to take a trip over to the Soul System because I need to pick up some new quests and everything. And this is actually one of the chief mechanics that I I would want to have changed within this. Now, I just did a mission that took me back in time by 150 years, and the um, this is from Section 31. Section 31 warned me not to alter time. Well, I made it a fact to alter time. Maybe that warning is just like saying, hey, you know, do it. You know, I wanted to make it a fact, because he tells me in, the, in his timeline that, uh, that this one um, Klingon vessel, he ends up... Uh, dying, or not dying in this, uh, you know, for some time, and he actually goes on and moves forward. Oh, yeah, look at it as he's the enemy, and, you know, let's get rid of the enemy while I can. Boom. You know, take him out and everything. So, yeah, I altered the timeline and everything. So, you know, it's my belief that uh, as this game, this world unfolds, um, the decisions and the actions that I'm actually taking and everything are quite literally branching and diversifying this game, particularly in from a perspective base for me because of the decisions I'm making. Now, that's that's what I'm hoping is the, the words that I'm discussing right now are influencing that development as well. You know, so if we are indeed creating a, a universal management system for me, you know, um, one thing I definitely want to see, you know, and somehow encourage is status report information, particularly, particularly for a project failure or success. Now, for me, 
Back when I was at Orbital, I used to have to fill out a, um, a status report pretty much every week. And most of the time I was making shit up. You know, I was just doing things to fluff up the status report to make it appear like I was actually keeping busy and that kind of stuff. I really was keeping busy, but a lot of it was very repetitious, and I made it a fact to actually put that repetitious uh, stuff that I was doing inside that status report and everything. But on occasion, on occasion, I would have something significant that would happen that needed to actually be captured in that status report because it, it was quite often that those status reports were circulated to higher level management and everything. And uh, I wanted to make sure that my manager, <clears throat> their attention was drawn to those things that I felt were significant. and. Uh, uh, hopefully, you know, this, this would actually <coughs> go up through the chains and get reported, you know, to the appropriate person or everything. You know, it's at a, at a point in my life where I actually respected the hierarchy and believed that the hierarchy was going to be reported on, you know, in a, uh, in a chain that was supposed to. So, in any case, um, you know, I always made it a fact that uh, whenever I had status reports that were requested of me and everything to report the busy work, you know, but in addition to that, also report the, um, got some little kid here on the deck. Holy shit, she's short. Huh, interesting. Tallest, uh, the shortest that, that you can be in the game is four foot, uh, four foot nine. And this character's uh, at least three foot. So, and she's human. So, anyways, I'm um, going back to that, the whole status report thing and everything. Um, particularly with project failures and that kind of stuff, uh, to some degree, the uh, managers would accumulate this information and um, and forward it to the directors, to the VPs, and that kind of stuff. Whenever they actually ended up uh, having a report on it, so. For me, it's just like I knew this, you know, I knew this whole chain, and that's why, you know, whenever I did this report, I'd make it a fact to, you know, make sure that uh, parts, I'd leverage Word or something like that to to do it in. I'd make it uh, look pretty. Um, I'd make it a fact to try to standardize the forms and everything that were used so everybody, uh, you know, could actually look at the same thing, you know, when it rose up and everything. So I had a couple times where I actually worked for companies that I helped standardize the uh, reporting mechanisms for status reports and that kind of stuff. And with this, um, that the status reporting also came the visibility into projects and actually why projects failed and why projects succeeded. Now for me, you know, um, if I've got a roster, a full roster and everything, you know, um, and I've got, uh, in this case, 122 people, um, if one continue, continuously fucks up things, I am not going to let that person go. Absolutely, positively not. I'm going to be very well aware, and this is the thing that I, I need for a failure. I want to know if somebody fails on a pretty consistent basis and everything, then there may be projects that I'm going to put them on just because I want to see that project fail. And I'm not wanting to see it fail intentionally. I want to f want it to fail because I want to see the statuses. And this is the thing for me. This is actually where this game can actually get increased and become better and everything and, and more fun from a storytelling perspective. 
Um, I've got this uh, diplomatic missions that I don't take. Intentionally don't take them. Entertain foreign dignitary, dignitaries. Now, I treat, treat this vessel like I do um, my own body. And at this point, without knowledge of who I'm entertaining and why I'm entertaining them, and anything going on with them whatsoever, I, I have no capabilities to drill down into details about what exactly I'm doing with this and why and for who. Um, all it is, it's just a very obtuse entertain foreign dignitaries. Starfleet has requested that you host visiting neutral dignitaries representing the world Starfleet fills would be a strategic asset to the Federation. Well, for me, you know, it's it's something that I have the option to say yes or no to. You know, and I'm repeatedly saying no to this because of the overall obtuse nature about it. You know, neutral dignitaries. Who says they're neutral? Starfleet? You know, like I trust Starfleet anymore, who constantly wants me to analyze Jim Hadar um, DNA. You know, that constantly wants me to um, do this additional analysis of the biological characteristics of the batter at incense over and fucking over again. Um, who's constantly wanting me to um, go through and uh, play tridimensional chess. Okay, that's, that's fun. But approve an existing extended wilderness survival training program. How many fucking times do I have to approve that same fucking program? You know, so for me, it's just like, because I see this repetitive missions and that kind of stuff, um, if I can actually get a little bit more detail on some of these, um, on some of these um, missions and get a little bit more information, potentially more detail, and it, especially, this is where it comes out important too, for successes and failures, get more information. You know, if it's a success and it worked exactly like it was supposed to, well, maybe just say that, you know? Did it, nothing unexpected happen? This is par for the course, blah, 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 you know. But if I get a failure, you know, I want to know why it's failing. Is it failing because uh, somebody did something stupid? Point fingers. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's okay. You know, um, I like the idea of knowing what people are capable of and what's causing something to happen. I, I value the staff that I have, you know, that I, on this ship and everything. This is actually how I would treat the real world, too. You know, if I've got somebody that's really kind of a fuck-up and everything, they have value. You know, and in particular, if I've got some team dynamics that need to be shaken up a little bit. That's the way I look at this. It's just like it's it doesn't make sense, you know, in a lot of cases to basically, you know, in the case of a success where it's always working and I've always got the same people that are assigned to it, well, I need a way visibility into this in order to basically start paying more attention to who I'm assigning things. Now, I don't have any mechanisms to gauge the feedback of the individuals, you know, and to see how each individual performed within the context of this project and everything. None. Zero. Zilch. Now, if I can actually obtain that, in particular, obtain it on failures, too. Find out what specifically failed, failed you know, from a, a project management perspective and everything. And at that point, I can actually start, you know, for me, while that may not necessarily gain the team experience or my avatar experience, it does me, Q, 
as an observer and as somebody that's actually making the plans to do this, it, it certainly contributes to my experience because a failure can provide some profound information in contrast to success with no information. When everything works as predicted, sure that prediction, predictable methods and everything certainly, certainly outline you know, that predictive nature of that uh, mission and everything is running as efficiently, or, or I shouldn't say as efficiently, um, is running like it should. Or as predicted. Not necessarily like it should. But I can't find out if it's operating like it should be. If I have no way of understanding the individual dynamics, you know, that are occurring within this. So, in any case, that's actually just something I'd, I'd really want to see. You know, so I've got a couple engineering achievement, Bajoran Bridge Officer, which I will take, and I'll sell that so they can actually make a model. Combat Telekinesis Security Training. How many times have I been through that and everything? Too fucking many. Analyze Starship War Weapon Distribution Patterns. It's not something, I mean, rare assignment my ass. I've done this, you know, literally hundreds of times, thousands of times probably. Perform routine psychological examination on who? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's just like provide some suggestions on why you're bringing this up. Additional analysis of the biological characteristics of Batarat incense. That's one thing I just said I just got. Why? Participate in Anbo Jiu tournament. Okay, I'll put somebody on that. Security officer, let them participate in that. You know, but that's all I'm saying. It's just like, you know, to provide more information at the individual level, you know, for each of these uh, characters and everything. And um, that way I can actually see, you know, when I'm doing duty, duty roster assignments and that kind of stuff, um, if I can get duty roster specific information about what's happening with these individuals and everything within the context of the assignments that they're actually put on. No, who's the, who are the performers, you know? Um, and maybe putting in some rudimentary mechanisms in there for me to be able to get statistical information about who uh, who's doing what, you know? Who's, you know, if you're not going to be able to point things out directly, just basically say, hey, you know, this, participate, this person participated in, you know, statistically 100% of, uh, of the successes and everything, or... You know, conversely, this person participated in 30 projects, and of those 30 projects, 30 of them failed. Well, I mean, that tells me a lot right there. So, in any case, that's that's what I'm looking for, just a little bit more, a lot more information, actually. Eh, a little bit, you know, anything from a paragraph, you know, one sentence is enough, but a paragraph would really be cool. And um, certainly diversifying the missions, too. You know, the, uh, I mean, the, the overall missions, that's not what I'm referring to. These are our duty roster missions, so they're very different than the normal missions. And uh, that's actually just, you know, for me, it's just like, hey, if I can actually get that to occur and everything. So, um, now, on in the Starfleet map, replicate shroud process in a lab environment. You know, every one of these missions test astrometric theories utilizing non-standard methods. Now that one, I've never seen before. It requires somebody with telekinesis. Huh. 
sign a crew member. I've got some interesting... So what I'm going to do, I'm going to actually shit-can some of, uh, some of the... I'm going to find out who's got telekinesis. Because I've got two people that are on my roster that have telekinesis. So specialization, telekinesis... Where? Where's my telekinesis, dude? So I have 20, 25 people now. And I could have sworn I had 20. So go back to the official roster. So that's all I'm saying is more information for the individual duty roster assignments and everything, particularly um, results in failure. And here's one of the other things, too to not provide experience as a number. I don't know. I think um, while experience, while a failure should provide experience, it should certainly not be experience that's equal to the successes. I would say maybe like a, a three or four to one ratio. So if something's going to provide 500 experience uh, for a success, um, even if it fails, it'll still provide 125 experience rather than zero. And there's a reason for that. It's just like, and you know, you have to provide that reason. The reason is the information that you're receiving from that. You know, while you may have a complete loss of resources and the lack of obtaining of resources to replace those resources, um, the fact of the matter is you're still getting information. Information itself is a resource. Um, we just need to be able to depict this information in the uh, on, on the response tab. So that is, you know, the experience that you're getting, and uh, you just got to find a way to put that information on. And, and it's this is already you know there to begin with. That's what I'm saying. So when you actually have have a quest or an assign they call them assignments an assignment and somebody actually performs that assignment the success or failure is there and has a capability to put a, put a caption underneath it I just would like to see the caption having more information especially about the critical successes about non-standard um, deviances from the expectations and the expectation is success right you know, most of these things I'm planning for success anyways. But uh, when something deviates from that norm, I want to know why that deviation occurred. You know, um, I mean, if we got a critical success out of this, you know, why? What happened to make it such a critical success and everything? Same, same thing happens for failure, and same thing happens for disaster. And most of the disasters actually list what happened with the disaster and everything. You know, but uh, I want to know all the time what happens with the failure and what happens with, with disaster, as well as what happens with a critical, critical success. So anyways, that would be the chief thing, is just basically put messages in for all those. Diversify the base assignment names, and it looks like you're already listening to me with that, so I'm happy. Thank you very much for that. And um, also, get rid of some of these we are clearly supporting other factions 
and there's no rhyme or reason given to that re you know to that support, such as Jim Hadar studying their DNA sequences and everything, unless you can actually put a definitive reason for the support that this provides to Starfleet. You know, because this j just basically sounds like you're, you know, you're helping them out and targeting them specifically, you know, but uh, for what reason? You know, or potentially, you know, trying to cause them harm. You don't know. You know, what's, what's the overall reason for this? So, I want to get to this. But, uh, anyways, um, yeah, I'm pretty happy about the fleet, uh, fleet stuff and everything, and I d will definitely be spending probably a good deal of time playing with it. So I found my replacement and everything for, <laughs> for, uh, Watch Dogs 2, and, uh, it's a little bit more cerebral, and it's a little bit more of a energy hack, if you want to put it that way. I really look forward to seeing some of these changes. Oh, and the big thing um, I also want to mention, too, is uh, I've got um, commendations. So I've got the um, R&D school. Increase your R&D level by completing research development tasks in each school. Increase in level unlocks better research projects. Okay, I've already got that. But uh, the commendations, I intentionally went through a while ago and uh, boosted up and just started focusing on um, acquiring experience um, selectively for each of these uh, different areas. So you've got the different assignments that you're actually offered, and each one provides uh, experience in the relative area that it's associated with. So for instance, um, I can choose inside the current map a diplomatic mission, um, a science mission, a, a science uh, assignment, my, my bad. A mission is not the same thing as an assignment. So I can choose a diplomatic assignment, I could choose a science assignment, and I can choose a development assignment. Um, the, the list in total is one, two, three, I'll just go through this. Diplomatic, science, engineering, military, exploration, espionage, medical, colonial, trade, development, and recruitment. So I've got all of those um, that I can choose from and everything, and each one I gain experience in. Now I have literally topped out each one of these with one solitary exception, that's Colonial. And Colonial has two repetitive missions, and it's the only way to actually level up Colonial. And uh, at, that's, at that point, when I level up Colonial to rank four, um, I get an accolade called Governor, Governor Tile, and select a single purple quality duty officer, which that's among the reasons I ended up uh, leveling each one of these up, is I can actually select a purple quality officer and everything. You know, you get specific uh, duty officers and everything. So, um, you know, for me, it's just like, okay, um, these commendations aren't used. Um, in the game, and I saw for the first time they were, I saw it being used today. Uh, I can actually answer a question diplomatically and everything that was offered within the, uh, the chat chain. Now, I would love to see this on a more regular basis. The leveraging of my skills, and anybody's skills for that matter, for completing duty officer assignments and, and leveling up these respective skill sets and everything and uh, potentially taking the ranks beyond these categories as well. So, or be, or, you know, potentially merging these ranks, um, doing different things with these ranks or something like that, opening up special chains, I don't know, you know, um, opening up communication options that weren't there already. Um, 
uh, different uh, quests that uh, become available, you know, to you, uh, missions, I should say, um, maybe different duty officer assignments that actually become available based on the level of your uh, of your character's uh, the, your character's rank in the respective area. Um, any number of different things like this, I think the commendation chain could actually be using. Now the R&D school, I'm just starting to get used to and everything. Um, I've got to, I've been doing some as much R&D as I possibly can and everything, um, but it just comes down to a limitation of resources. I've got a, scare, a big, huge scarcity of resources right now, and yeah, that's about it for right now. It's about 12:05. I just saw the time. View slots. So. Anyways, um, yeah, this will be uh, making up for watchdogs. I'll just sit there and get ideas from this on how I would manage my real-world company through something like this. Could be kind of fun. But it does kind of mirror my own thinking processes, which is really kind of all over the place. Sometimes I'm going to want to do some things one way, and sometimes I'm going to want to do it another way. And, you know, that can change on a dynamic, you know, regular basis and everything. You know, so to have a severe limitation on how to do those things, I wouldn't want it, you know. Um, I like the idea of having, you know, the inside. I can right-click on a dude, you know, Stilp here. I can see Stilp's a Vulcan. He's a male. He's a crewman. That's his rank and everything. He's a private, and uh, he's working in the tactical, tactical department. Specialization is Space Warfare Specialist. He's having this officer on active duty will increase all of your damage output when in combat very versus Orion's in space. Um, he's got some traits. He's founder of the Federation, he's logical, he's tactful, and his current status is is currently managing space tasks. So I've got him actually assigned to space tasks. So that's how I look at this whole thing. It's just basically it's a management system, you know, for what could potentially pan out to be a real world uh, type, you know, type way of uh, organizing and managing com a company. In this case here, it's the... Uh, I don't know. I'm digging the uh, the graphics. I, I just love the whole concept of a futuristic society based in space and everything, or based in the year 2400, and just the changes, both ethical and moral, and just all together. It's just a cool place to me, anyways. Seeing shuttles fly through the sky and starships take off. In any case, um, yeah, that's it for tonight. I'm gonna wrap up here. Probably do one more mission. Take off. Have a good night. One last thought that I want to add in. I was, um, watched the, uh, Star Trek The Q in the Gray. And it's an episode of, um, Star Trek that features Q, and Q's got, uh, he approaches Captain Janeway and asks her to bear his child, and Janeway refuses. Um, I remember watching a version where Q asked her this, and he refuses, and or she refuses, and he goes on, and he ends up uh, coming back with the child anyways, and you know the conditions of which were really questionable. It's like he ended up getting her permission from an alternate reality or something like that. It's kind of weird. Um, as I rewatched it, this uh, there's parts of uh, of TV shows and everything 
that I suspect are redone. That um, okay, so it's there's one of two possible explanations for this. It's either redone or my memory's bad. I don't think my memory's bad. So what ended up happening was uh, Q ends up approaching another Q, and which is a girl Q, and they end up mating at the end of it and everything. Definitely not something I remember. I think I'm, I'm pretty damn sure I would have remembered it. So, alteration of material, of uh, digital of recordings and that kind of stuff and everything. Just happens. Kind of life from my perspective. You know, it's a human way I would have dealt with it and would have said that uh, it wasn't a be it was, <laughs> I would have written it off. I would have told a story writing it off before. Yeah, I'm tired and still waking up. I was up too late last night. Anyways, gonna post this.